Happy New Year, gang. Dave here, recording from the swamp. I just wanted to represent as a present to the listeners for the start of 2023. I'm representing Ed Greenwood's chat with me uh, over three hours of great content on Dungeons and Dragons, Forgotten Realms, and a lot of stuff Ed has going on. How he got into the industry, uh, basically stuff he's working on now. A whole lot of information about, you know, Forgotten Realms and getting right into the imagination, I think, of one of the greatest creators in the last 50 years. Now, I've been chatting to Ed offline. This was a great chat. This is a really satisfying, one of my favorite chats in Signal history. And Ed will be coming back on uh, early this year, early 2023. We're to dive even deeper. Um, I hope you enjoy it and a happy new year to everybody out there from Dave and Rich, even though he's not here. Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Signal of Doom. I'm Dave and I have Ed Greenwood, one of the most famous people in Dungeons & Dragons history, the man who created the Forgotten Realms world. Ed, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fantastic, Ed, and I'm just so thrilled to have someone here who, as far as I'm concerned, is just a linchpin in D&D history. And listeners know that I I love my D&D. And um, my first question to you, Ed, is when you created the Forgotten Realms, did you rest on the seventh day? (laughs) There is no rest. I I created the Forgotten Realms 56 years ago. Oh, my God. um, Starting 56 years ago Mm. when I was like five or six. And I've been working on it every single day of my life since. So there is no rest. Um, ongoing, and I don't feel godly in any way. <laughs> if I was godly, the world would be a far different place. <laughs> would it be darker or lighter than it is? Lighter, yeah. lighter. Yeah, uh, there would be a that. chicken in every basket. There'd be a a champagne filled uh, hot tub. Um, in every, you know that sort of thing. I <laughs> love it. I love it. Um, well, we have a couple of questions that we always like to ask our guests, Ed, and. Um, most of our guests are, are comic booky, so uh, the first question, if you if you if you can't get it, just say pass. The first question is Betty or Veronica. That's the first question. Oh, that's easy, Veronica. Oh yes, yeah. She's getting more and more votes as as time wears on. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's... yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 I have to tell you, when I was very young. Uh, in my misspent youth, yes, I came across one of the artists. Uh, he was visiting Baca Books in in Toronto. Um, Baca Books and the Silver Snail, which became the comic shop, hadn't split apart then. Mm-hmm. So if you were a comic book guy in Toronto, Canada, you went to Baca back then. And one of the artists, um, <laughs> he had in his traveling attaché case. Yes, he mm. had an attaché case. Love it. Um, slightly porno Veronica that he drew. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I, I was of a sufficiently impressionable age sure. that this uh, imprinted on my my young my young lust. So it's it it's lightly? definitely Veronica for you. You are a heavy. It's definitely Veronica. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. And the second question. 
that we like to ask people is, Ed, are we in a simulation? Hmm. Mm. If we are, yeah, the players are very drunk, <laughs> and they lost the plot thread years ago, and they've probably reached that stage of just fighting over everything. Yes. Well, I was going to ask a follow up, uh, Ed. Considering your, you know, history, are you running the simulation? You are quite the DM, aren't you? <laughs> well, I DM, but oh my goodness, it. Uh, no, I would run a different simulation. Yeah. Jeez, I wouldn't want to be blamed for this. No, you, exactly, Holy, yeah. Holy caboli, the things that go on every day. Um, and, you know, you, you um, switch into social media for five seconds and you go, oh, my word. Oh, what they, happened to this world? They fight about everything on social media these days, Ed. It's, it's, it's quite, uh, you know what? I didn't get involved with it at all other than promote the show, but I, I feel sorry for the people who are wasting their time on it because I'm like, it's just negative energy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just um, self-destructive. What a world. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I did that in the wrong. What a world. What a world. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, Ed, before we even get into the Forgotten Realm stuff, now you were mentioning to me you were doing a new thing called the One-Eyed King Fate of the Norns RPG. Can you give us... What is this and, and what's going on? This is your new project, yeah? Oh, yes. Okay. First of all, Fate of the Norns is not my game, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. It's it's created by a gentleman he, he up here in Canada in Quebec called Andrew Volkoskis. Mm -hmm. As a publisher, he calls himself Pendlehaven. And he came up with this Fate of the Norns game, which is a Viking role-playing game. Oh, cool. Which does not use dice. It uses runes. That's cool. You, you have the Elder Futhark runes, and you keep them in a bag, you know, so here's your chance to use your, your Crown Royal dice bag for something else. Mm. or whatever. So you have your bag of runes, and during the game, you pull out runes and play them, either at random mm. or deliberately, and when you get wounded, you have to take some runes out of your hand, which simulates you use, losing some abilities. Oh. So... Instead of rolling dice, everything could be done with runes. And the really cool thing about Fate of the Norns, and I'm just sort of telling you this as a gamer, mm. I'm not competent to be a Norn or Dungeon Master for Fate of the Norns. Mm. I'm not competent to be one. Andrew sort of holds my hand when we do adventures because I just can't. Um, but you can play it at three levels of crunch. You can play it just like you would play D&D with four and five-year-olds. Mm -hmm. What do you want to do? Oh, I try and climb the wall. Okay, roll that funny-sided die over there, <laughs> and let's see if you climb the wall. Mm. Well, you can do that with runes, too. Okay, pull a rune. Yeah, you climb the wall. And so the, the player doesn't have to know any of the game mechanics. Or you can do it sort of half-game mechanics, mm -hmm. where you draw runes and use them for attacks and so on. And then you can do full mechanics, where the player knows all the stuff and you can have rune battles and all that stuff. But anyway, um, that that the whole thing about the game attracted me. And Andrew and I used to sit on panels at conventions together, mm. and we hit it off. And and uh, eventually he asked me, "Hey, would you like to do a thing with me? I'd like to do a box set of sure. a city." And that's what became the ultimate Viking Kickstarter, which was a thing we did last year, mm -hmm. which had three novels by three different people, two graphic novels, cool, 
and a box set. And the box set I and Andrew have been working on for two and a half years now. Wow. Imagine a mapped city, and it happens to be a fantasy version of what happened in real life when the Vikings conquered what would become Dublin. Cool. That's awesome. And yeah. So uh, we call it Asklias. Now, to a uh, modern Gaelic speaker, they go, oh, you're pronouncing it wrong. It's Asklia. And so, yeah, sure. So it is. Except that just like with English and the great vowel shift, everything changed pronunciation so many times. Sure. So we can call it Asklias and be authentic Yeah. for way back when. We're, we're set anything from 799 when the Vikings arrived and conquered mm. up through... Well, I think we're we're at nine hundred, and we've kept a king alive who didn't stay that long, that that long alive in real life. Yeah. But anyway, we got a fantasy version of um, Dublin to be. So it's a walled city, it's a port, mm. and the setup of the game, the current edition of this game, it's it's Fate of the Norns Ragnarok. So the end of the world oh, has come. Wait, yes. So the sun's gone from the sky, it, the earth is getting cold, the crops are failing, oh, nice. and there's this one guy, the one-eyed king, uh, Citric Swaran, who is sitting on the throne of this city. He taxes at 100%, <laughs> but, it, but it's the city of golden slaves. Mm. The slave trade is concentrated there, mm -hmm. So, and all the money in the world and all the important people are rushing to Athclias to, to be part of it. So it's sort of like... You know, they talk about fin de siècle Paris and so on, you know, before the wars when all the rage and all the bright young things and mm. the, the, the mm. music and the culture mm -hmm. and, the you know, everything, same thing. Everything is popping together. So I have spent the last two and a half years detailing every single building, oh 96 God. city blocks in the city, every single one, you know what it looks like, what it's made of. It's, you know, it's general construction mm. uh, and at least one detailed NPC inside this who lives in really? that building or can be found in that building. How, how long does that kind of stuff, um, like in terms of like in a week, how, how many hours do you have to put into something like that? Oh, I, I, I don't keep track of the hours, but sure. typically I would have spent um, probably the equivalent of three days a week what, uh, in really? drips and drabs just Jesus. working on it. It's the donkey work I'm doing mm. so that if you're running a fantasy campaign and mm. you don't have to play this in Fate of the Norns, mm. you can put it in your D&D &D campaign or cool. any That's fantasy great. role playing campaign. Yeah. All you're going to have to do is file off Viking matronyms and patronyms because Vikings didn't use last names. Right. It so was always like Sven, was Sven the Brave and all that stuff, wasn't it? Like that kind of thing? Yeah, you either had a by name, a nickname, mm. you know, um, um, uh, Svein the Foul Farter or whatever. <laughs> um, and most of the by names were less than complimentary. Yes, um, yeah. Or you you were son of or daughter of, and that there's a particular formula for how they said it. And if you don't want that, you just have to substitute other names. But you can use this whole city... Mm. in your fantasy campaign and you won't have to do the donkey work yeah, of yeah. it's amazing man. you've done city. a great job there yeah so is this out it was kickstarted um obviously successfully um is this out like so people can just come and buy it now kind of thing or gosh or? no i'm i've i've just finished what we call the overview book mm -hmm. and if you've ever seen one of those paperback dorling kindersley guides to paris or yes. rome or yep. berlin yep. 
it, it's like that. It does one city block at a time, everything done lightly over. Wow. And then the southern sort of fifth of the city, close, including the palace, mm. um, we gets what we call a deep dive book. Yeah. Full detail. And I'm just embarking on that. And I have about 12 city blocks of that done. So it's not out yet. Um, but it's coming. And none of the stuff is quite shipping yet. Mm. But... There are three novels as part of this, and one of them is mine, The One-Eyed King. Oh, cool. That's finished. Excellent. And the proof copies are around. And an author called Michelle Franklin has written one of the funniest fantasy novels I've ever read called The Misadventures of Mindel. Mm -hmm. And Mindel is this um, innocent who grows up in a monastery, mm -hmm. and he thinks he's doing God's work, and yeah. he's a complete dunderhead. He's totally naive. <laughs> I love but it. He might have a guardian angel. I'm not going to, you know, spoiler yeah, sure, the book. Of course. Because he does and says the most stupid things because he's such an innocent and he's so naive. And you'd think, oh, he's going to get killed. Oh, he's going to get killed violently right now. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be. And somehow, mm. somehow he gets out of it and says more outrageous things and keeps going. I so that it. is a book I enjoyed reading. Mm. I got to edit it. And Michelle got to edit mine. And I've written The One-Eyed King, which is two young teenagers, one male, one female, who don't know each other mm. and don't trust each other, come to the city on the same uh, conveyance, the same boat, mm. and they're both there on a mission. I am come to kill the king. Love it. Cool. So imagine you've never been in a big city in your life. Yeah. It's totally overwhelming. And you don't even know where the palace is. But you're totally overwhelmed by how many people it is, how noisy it is, the stink, the bustle, mm. all these people. How the heck am I even going to get to the king? Yeah, sure. You yeah. know, and that's what the book is about. Sounds very interesting, <laughs> man. And you also did I hear you mention that you've got some graphic novels as well. So um, obviously comics, yeah. Oh yeah, and these are um, not funny, although they have funny moments. Sure. Um, Viking sagas. Awesome. Um, not done by me, done by uh, Andrew mm. uh, and a different artist in each time. And Andrew tends to source his artists from Europe. So there'll be people you haven't seen. And if cool. you if you happen to jaunt out on the Internet and look at some of the past Fate of the Norn stuff, mm -hmm. it is visually gorgeous. Mm. Cool. Um, and Andrew did a uh, illuminated Edda. He took the Elder Edda and he did a scholarly thing where he went through all the texts that that exist and he annotated it. And here's here's the choices I made in my text and here's why. Wow. And he laid it all out and it is absolutely gorgeous. And the cover of it is Odin with a spear through him hanging head downwards on the tree. Oh, yeah. yeah it's wow. one of the most beautiful books I've ever seen. Because you, you sort of. Oh. Odin was like on the tree for like a like a week or something, wasn't he? Is that is that, is that right? That's right. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. right, yeah. Th um, thank you to Neil Gaiman from American Gods for that bit of knowledge for me there. <laughs> I, I love yeah. I love Vikings. Um man, have you s I, I don't know if you're into this stuff, but um like the, the Vikings T V show and also Assassin's Creed Valhalla, like Vikings are hot right now. You know? Yeah, they are. I, I've seen very little of them because mm. I'm too busy. I'm always working on stuff. Yeah. I do see the ads. Yeah. Because I was, you know, I'd flip on the television for my wife or whatever, and they'd be promoing the next show. 
Good show, you know. man. Good, like it's 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 probably excuse me more lightweight than than in depth like, like you're doing, but it is a good show and it does get the vibe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely gets the vibe. But the assassins. I don't know if you're a gamer. Are you a gamer, Ed, or you don't have time for that kind of stuff? Like, <laughs> uh, Am I a gamer? No, I yes, mean like I'm video. <laughs> obviously, you're a gamer, but I mean a video gamer as well. Like uh, no, no, uh, I work on video games, but oh, yeah? one of the things when you work on them, you don't have time to play them. True, they are they are a time suck. Yeah. Like, um, but I was going to say Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is a Vikings Assassin's Creed. Um, it was excellent actually, and very sort of it was very much like the show. Now that is awesome. So I, I really want um, listeners and 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 when it comes all live, Ed, let me know like when it's out for sale because I will definitely promote sure. it on the show. No problems at all. Um, and we do have some big Vikings fans who listen to the show. They have to listen to me talk about my Assassin's Creed Valhalla all the time. So I, I've already I've already <laughs> I've indoctrinated them to like Vikings. Now um, let's switch over to D and D. Now I first became aware of Dungeons and Dragons because it's mentioned in ET. Um, and I was playing at a very basic level by about 1986 or so. Now, I know you were playing D&D, Ed, back in the 70s. Can you give our listeners a feel for how it was running games and building your world back at that early stage? Like, how was it then, and how did it change as the 70s morphed into the 80s and it kind of went more mainstream? Could, do you remember these kind of days? Sure. Uh, when I started playing D&D, okay, here we go. The world was black and white. Uh, <laughs> Two channels. <laughs> uh, yeah, uphill both ways on the way to school. Young whippersnappers, they just, yeah. Anyway, okay, leaving all that, that fun aside. Mm. When I started playing D&D, there were three booklets. Mm-hmm. No box, just three booklets. And we tried it and said, this is a really cool idea. Yeah. Storytelling that, that sort of draws on all the fantasy books we love. Mm. But... There's not enough here. It's just going to devolve into an argument, as sure enough it did, you know, over <laughs> what's happening in the game. Oh, because the so, rules yeah, weren't clear I, enough back then, were they, early on in the early right. days? That's yeah. right. There weren't enough. Mm. So we, we put it down and said, yeah, yeah, nice, but, mm. you know, and laid it aside. And then out came Greyhawk. Right, which was Gary Gygax's world. Am I right? Is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah, mm. but I, I'm now not talking about the world of Greyhawk. I'm talking oh. about the original booklet supplement oh, okay yeah. there was greyhawk blackmoor and eldritch wizardry mm-hmm. known as elbitch misery um, <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah but i mean um eldritch wizardry was a sort of uh arcana of extra rules and the gods and so on uh-huh. um greyhawk although you know it has the name of gary's world it wasn't just the world it presented the thief as the player character it added mind flayers to the game wow. it added tons and tons of gorgeous magic items and spells so in other th- words, thieves the- weren't in there originally thieves weren't like no wow really my favorite class wasn't there <laughs> no wasn't wow. there that was that was added and so we took another look at the game and said this is cool yeah um and then we read it and said yeah they're still going to devolve into arguments so we set it aside again we mm. didn't start really playing mm. until the monster manual come out and i said this is really cool this is all these monsters i know from mythology yeah and the dinosaurs and stuff plus new ones and they're all codified exactly what they do oh this is really cool that is cool then, i agree i yeah. agree by the way like i used to love that as a kid 
going through the monster manual and reading all, and you get the, you know, the, the, the dragon does gas breath and it does this damage and yada, yada, you're like, all the detail was great. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then out came on top of that, the player's handbook. And it was mm. like, oh, Jack Vance's dying earth spells, but done all laid out like, like, like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle or yeah. a toolbox or tinker toys. Oh, this is marvelous. And I quietly changed everything I was doing in the realms mm. to match this, not to copy D and D, but because I thought this is a framework, a skeleton, yeah. like a mathematical framework, almost like almost like a mathematical framework behind the world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This will keep me honest mm. in the same way that, um, certain writers, um, Don Pendleton, when he was doing the executioner books, mm. he actually used to take little model soldiers and lay them out and choreograph and plan his firefights to make sure he didn't have a guy shooting 48 times without reloading or something. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. he would just try and keep himself honest while writing. Well, in the same way, um, I was keeping myself honest while writing fantasy short stories because that's what i was doing as a little kid mm. i was writing short stories to entertain myself i wasn't gaming this, yeah. this is before D, &D yeah. um that i started the realm so it was always starting as a story world not as a which game makes, which makes sense then, totally makes sense oh yeah. yeah 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 and and we didn't start playing D, &D regularly mm. until the player's handbook appeared. And then from then on. So when is that? Is that in the book. late seventies or, or I mean, I 1978. don't know. 1978. Okay. Right. So late 70s. Okay, we had yeah. the player's handbook. Mm. We had the monster manual. Uh, we read dragon magazine. Everybody did if they could get their hands on it. That was very and popular have, back then. Wasn't it? Dragon magazine was, was really kind of like it was, did that come out monthly? I, I remember it. Like, yes. But yeah. Yes, yeah, it did. Yeah. And if you had a, um, if you come across a copy of, Issue 21 of Dragon, mm. which is um, amalgamated with Little Wars, which was their minis magazine that was going under. So they, they sort of amalgamated it. Mm. There's actually the tables from the Dungeon Master's Guide mm. are in there, plus an apology for Gar from Gary Gygax. I know you guys are all waiting for the Dungeon Master's Guide, and you're running all your adventures without <laughs> it. And I'm really busy trying to grow this gaming company and write about Greyhawk and, um, you know. Yeah, so he expand. was doing he was doing almost too, like it was a lot on his shoulders, it seemed yeah, like. Yeah, he was yeah. doing too many things, yeah. And uh, and he apologized for it because keeping us waiting. But anyway, hmm. until then, here are the tables so you can at least run combat. <laughs> it's know. helpful. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, it, it, it's a real blast from the past when you look at it today it's crazy. You know, if you yeah know. well now it's a, well i mean even in from the 80s i remember mid 80s at least there was a lot of books out in mean, hard covers and and that seems to have been the pattern ever since like every few years they reboot the editions and there's there's a lot of rule books now it's funny to think back in the infancy you guys were existing almost on crumbs to play your games you know yeah yeah, yeah. It's, we it's were nuts. yeah and 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 yet and yet <laughs> the effects barely show, do they? <laughs> no, no, it's great. Like, I mean, uh, would have taken. I'm imagining um, for you, Ed. Uh, were you always the DM? Was that your fate in life to always be the DM, or or were you a player as well at your table, or did you instant instinctively take that leadership role? You know, what was the story? 
I fairly often, mm. um, I, okay. Yeah. I was usually roped into being the DM. Sure. Cause they knew I was a storyteller and they knew I had stuff on the go Yeah, and da da. Uh, yeah. but, um, I, I would, uh, certainly if I ever got the chance mm. be a player, because for one thing, we were always trying to, um, play test stuff for TSR or for ourselves, for our own stuff. Mm. And the way to play test it was to, uh, play it. Yeah, yeah, as a player. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to try this new variant of the Bard or whatever. Mm. Yeah, you know? no, definitely. Now, I've got a question for you. Um, what was your favorite alignment to play? Like when, you, when, when you're when you like, you've got a chance to be a, a player, did you, were you, and also a class, like did you have something you gravitated to? Uh, my favorite alignment was Chaotic Good. Cool. And my favorite character class was the Bard. The Bard's cool. The Bard's are cool. Because I, yeah. I could sing and be damned annoying. I mean, excuse me, I could be a loyal party member. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the life of the party kind of thing of the Bard is. The Bard's always a bit of fun, I think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, I can tell you, and, and I'm ashamed to admit this, cha- Chaotic Good's excellent, but I played, I don't play all the time, but I, about 10 years ago, I got a chance to play in a campaign. I played a neutral, evil elf assassin I have probably never been happier in my entire life. I was living, I was living my, I was living my best life that whole campaign. I was so sad, you know. Inevitably, after about a year, you know, it falls apart. But I had the best time for that year, and it was like, I, I think we, I think everyone at some point should play neutral evil elf assassin because it's just so freeing, you know. Oh yeah, like yeah. There, there is a. Now, now it gets old fast, and when I say gets old fast, I don't mean it gets old for you, the player. Sure, it gets old for all your fellow party members, <laughs> and and those who have survived or are on their third or fourth character, they start to make it less fun for you yes. because they're lying in wait for you. They're expecting it. <laughs> now, um, talking about Forgotten Realms. Such a beautiful, evocative name. Did you come up with that title um, back when you were? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, where did that Where did that come from? Did you have this term in your head since you were a teenager, world-building your world? Uh, no, as a matter of fact. Mm. Uh, so here I am at five years old. Wow, okay? five. Jesus. And, and I'm writing um, fantasy stories. Yeah. And they're basically... Um, pastiches of what I enjoyed about Fawford and the Grey Mouser by, by Fritz Leiber. Oh yeah. Okay? Like classic stuff. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's adventures in a largely urban fantasy setting where people are slanging each other. Your main character is a scoundrel. Mm. He's, um, and he has to leave town at the end of each story because of the <laughs> new Problems. enemies he's made and the authorities. Yep. Okay. So there's that. And there's, Okay, this guy is leaving town. He's moving along a sea coast. Okay, and that became the Sword Coast. Right. And yeah. so it was a year later. So I'm six years old now. Mm. Um, it's around 1967, 1966, 1967. Mm. And okay, it's called the Forgotten Realms. Mm. Why is it called the Forgotten Realms? Because. It's connected to our world and all the other of my favorite fantasy worlds, like Lord Dunsany's stuff, um, the the wood between the worlds that's in William Morris's book of the same title. Yeah. Um, 
and so on and so forth. Uh, and we all saw it if we were readers back then, because the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe yeah. and goes through the wardrobe, or yeah. the magician's nephew, yeah. where the queen goes to London. She does. Training. She's 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 she is she is, uh, she is a force to be reckoned with in that book. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Ch- you yeah. remember? Do you remember Chan, the world that she came from? Yeah, I love, dude. I loved that chapter where it's like she's frozen everyone seconds before the world ends or something, or they come together. Yeah, that's, that yeah. that's powerful storytelling by uh, C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's the thing I was on to. Yeah, why do we have in our world mm. all these legends? of dragons and vampires and basilisks and cockatrices and all this stuff, but you don't bump into one. Yeah, on you don't see them. You don't see them. No. We, we, we've mythologized it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but where did all those come from? Okay, maybe there were once gates, mm. and the game now calls them portals. Sure. Largely because of w- what they did with a uh, Magic the Gathering set called portal which was which was um magic gathering for young kids to learn the game you know simpler. thanks capitalism yeah yeah exactly but i mean but i mean it, yeah all these gates this web work of gates mm. that connect all the worlds and therefore you you have a multiverse of many many worlds and this was um borrowed by many Mm. Many different fantasy writers over the years. Like I said, William Morris, the first novelist, as in creator of what we call novels, he popularized that with his press and his writings. He was doing portal fantasies. Yeah. So they're as old as publishing. Yeah, yeah. They've been around forever. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. But that's where the Forgotten Realms came from because we all used to know the ways for getting between world to world, but Mm. we've forgotten them. Mm. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And can I also say, obviously, you know, flashing forward to, I want to say late 80s when they started doing the novels, great logo design for the Forgotten. Mm. Like that, I'm assuming, was that workshop with the guys at TSR? Because that that was a brilliant logo, you know? Oh, the the logo is TSR made, but it uses entirely the elements that I sent them. I drew all the stuff and sent them. And they put it together into a, what something I would never have done, mm. but is necessary for publishing, and that's a horizontal slim banner. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, Left it's, to it's my fine. own devices, yeah. I would do a heraldic one, so it would be like down a the side, charge, down the side. Is that right? And it would dominate a cover. Yeah, it, heraldic. Is that where it goes vertically? Is that right? Yeah, like, yeah. like a shield. Yes, and it know. would it would take up most of a cover. <laughs> and of course, they didn't want that. They wanted it to be a line look. Yeah, and then whatever we were doing in this particular, well, they always um, had they always had a good picture underneath it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, a sort of yeah, action exactly. picture yeah. of the thing. No, I I actually think like obviously the content was incredible, but you know getting that packaging right and the design of the logo right, I actually think they really got that. Now, um, as an avid reader of fantasy in my teenage years, especially, and I'm a writer myself. I'm fascinated um, by how you managed to come up with a complete world. Like you came up with like uh, an actual planet. Can you take us through your process? Like, would the world? What I'm trying to explain here is: would the world kind of create itself during gameplay, or would you write long scenarios for the players in your own time? Like, how did that? If I'm at the table with you and we're going through Neverwinter, you know how 
how detailed was your creation kind of thing when, when you're doing this kind of stuff? Ah, it's the answer to your question mm. is both. Yeah. Both right. ways. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. I was, um, he, what's the best way to say it? Okay. Once we're gaming regularly, mm. I'm detailing what is immediately around where we are at all times. Yep. Because I do not want to railroad the players. I want them to have a free choice of where to go. So if they suddenly say, I'm going to turn around and go in the other direction, yeah. I have to have what's there detailed and ready. Like if they say, we want to go to the, the tavern or the brothel or wherever, yeah. the bank, you've got all that kind of stuff there kind of ready to roll. Yeah. Mm. I, I have to... I have to leave them with the freedom mm. to really be adventurers, to go and do what they want to do in the world, not me ram down their throats, whatever I had intended for them to adventure in tonight. So like a so Neverwinter never yeah. or a Baldur's Gate, you, you actually, like prior to, you know, it becoming an official, you know, TSR product, you know, as a, you know, in the shops, um, you actually had this kind of stuff mapped out. Is that right? Like oh, a, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Man. I was creating the entire world for me yeah. long before TSR bought it. It's not a it's not a and d game world. It's a world they bought yeah. to get themselves out of the problem. You see, here's what happened. They had Greyhawk. Right. The problem yeah. with Greyhawk at first was that Gary couldn't run the company, <laughs> write the game, and publish Greyhawk. Well, why there didn't was, you was, delegate? Why, why wouldn't you delegate some of this? Because like, he didn't want to. He was a control freak, was he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, not only that, it's his. Yeah. Greyhawk right. is his. Gotcha. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And and he yeah, that that was the problem. Right. And the and the other and and you see when when TSR started, it was basically Don Kay, the Bloom brothers and Gary. Right. And they they were all employing their families. <laughs> Nepotism. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, that's what you did in a small Midwestern town. Of course, town. you know, I get that, you know, of course. Because yeah. there's not enough work for anybody, yeah. and here's something your daughter can do. She can be the receptionist, or she can be the secretary. And it's making oh, money, and and crea- yeah, it's making yep. money, creating revenue, creating jobs. Why wouldn't you employ, you know, your, your brother or your cousin or someone if they want to be, you know, in this? Sure. Yeah, sure, I get but it. But the problem is, once mm. you do that, they all come to you. Every time they have a dispute or a problem, oh no, because you've told them to come to you, <laughs> yeah, you know, and and there's a good reason to tell you, you know, so you can like stay on top of what's well, happening. He's, he was the boss, yeah, like yeah, yeah, but yeah. but you see, he set himself up for the fact that he's going to get interrupted hundreds of times a day. Yes, right. You know, um, so I mean, he's stuck in it. But anyway, yeah. well, that happens, and what that means is he promises us Castle Greyhawk. Mm. And it doesn't come out for eight, ten years, and only oh, after Jesus. he's pushed out of the company, we get a joke product called Castle Greyhawk, because he'd been promising it for so long. It's like the joke that's currently going on. Spelljammer confirmed. You know how they kept running that. Oh, it spelled the Spelljammer. Um, I remember it from the eighties, like the space one. Yeah, am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is that, is that back? On is social, it on is social media? Or? The gamers would needle them mm. all the time. Mm. They'd mentioned something in passing that had appeared in Spelljammer. <laughs> and um, the gamers would say, ha, Spelljammer confirmed. You know. <laughs> I see. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was, so the that was, was cool. And yeah. They finally announced Spelljammer and they <laughs> announced it by saying Spelljammer confirmed. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, they sort <laughs> of. A joke, yeah, that is a joke to the audience. That yeah, but, that's but here's the problem. Greyhawk yes. isn't fully desi- designed and published and presented to us. Yeah. Still isn't. And because Greyhawk starts as Gary's home thing, and D and D grows out of Chainmail, which was a sand table mini war game. Mm. If you buy the first Greyhawk product, the one that we all remember that had shields, heraldic shields all over the cover, mm. you, you look up someplace like Furiondi or the Pomage, and it basically tells you who rules, mm. and then it tells you how many troops they can field. Right. But you will yeah, search in vain right, yeah. for what do they eat? What do they import? What do they export? Sure. What makes the Pomage different from it? Oh, orcs. Okay. Tell me more. <laughs> There's nothing more. It's well, not. It's there. kind of quite basic. It, it's kind yeah. of quite. Uh, how can I say? Like, um, it's designed for wargaming almost. You know what I mean? Like, it's designed yeah. for battles and stuff. I okay. I didn't realize all that. I assumed at some point he he put out like a big book about Greyhawk. Like every other book came out about everything else. You know, like. But you're saying no, didn't. Eventually, mm. but that those are basically appearing after he's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Where they're sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I see, right. So, oh, so yeah. after Grey, Greyhawk, mm. they do Dragonlance. Awesome. And I love Dragonlance as well, man. I'm sorry if that's a competitor to you, but I love my oh, Dragonlance. Oh, no, it's yeah. not a competitor to me. I wasn't on the scene. Right, yeah, you know? okay, yeah. I was just a kid up in Canada yeah. um, writing articles for Dragon Magazine by that, by that point. Right. But here's the problem for them with Greyhawk. Mm. Mm. It takes all the resources, uh, sorry, with Dragonlance, it mm. takes all the resources of the company for two years. Yeah. All the artists, yeah. all the designers, all the editors, all the gamers. Um, Margaret and Tracy are there and they put in a novel pitch because none of the novel pitches they got fit what they wanted. So they wrote one Great that was novels. what they wanted Great and then novels. accepted their own pitch. Yeah. So they are starting to write novels. Here's the problem. Mm. You tell one big story sure. and it's basically... A quest like the Lord of the Rings is a quest. The War of the Lance. The, yeah. That's the story. And can I say, um, Margaret is a uh, friend on Facebook. She's a lovely yeah. woman. Lovely woman. She, like, yeah. Margaret and I used to hug each other at, at Gen Con. And uh-huh. um, when my wife got too sick for me to go to Gen Con, so I had to stay home and nurse mm. her, um, Margaret would send me a tweet every, or every year saying, where's my hug? Yeah. She's, you know, yeah, yeah. The, they created a um, fantastic world with Dragonlance. Yeah, like those, those novels, yeah. and like you're saying, so, so what you're but, basically but saying is the company was devoted company. to it. Yeah, the company was like focused, like lasers on it, kind of thing. Well, yeah, and it takes all the resources of the company. Mm. You've told one epic story, and it's a great epic story, and it sells well because it's a great epic story. But then you save the world. What do you do for a an encore? Oh, sure. uh, save it again. Yeah. Uh, there's an anticlimax. The other thing is you mm. haven't shown us the other side of Kryn. So Zeb Cook goes together and does a box set that shows you the other side of Kryn. But there's still this flat feeling. Yeah. Because it was it's created to be the world of one epic story. Yeah. No, I hear you, now, man. That's a good point. Yeah. So inside TSR, again, I'm not part of this. No, you you're know, up so in Canada doing none your own of this thing. Is, yeah. yeah. This is not a criticism of of Dragonlance five from on my account. No, no, I because I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, writing stories set in the realms, and and they don't know me from Adam, but Jeff Grubb writes a position paper inside the company called mm. a proposal for a unified game world for the second edition of the game, 
And they're looking for a kitchen sink world so they can put jungle adventures in it, which became Malatra, the living jungle. Right. Pirate adventures, which became Pirates of the Fallen Stars. Uh, Arabian adventures, which became El Hadin. I remember that. That was awesome. Orient, Oriental adventures, which became, ha Oriental adventures. Uh, yeah. So they're look, and they already have the Desert of Desolation modules, which have pyramids in them. And cool. it's, it's using a pyramid like a dungeon. And yeah. the pyramids are in the desert of desolation, but they don't know what world the desert of desolation is in. They know it isn't Greyhawk because they don't want to give Gary any money because Gary's gone. <laughs> yeah. um, but they don't yeah. know what world it is. Yeah, they, so they, they, they kind of don't have a planet to put all these things on. Almost. Right. Yeah. So yeah. they need a kitchen sink world. Yeah. And so Jeff reads Dragon Magazine, and right. he's reading all these articles I write about the Forgotten Realms. And I just keep mentioning the Forgotten Realms because I am a um, shy Canadian. Right. I, I, it, it, I, it may not sound like I'm shy to speak to me now, but I've had years of overcoming my shyness sure. um, to, to make up with. But I, I feel there is something incredibly arrogant and rude, and I can't do it to say, hi, you don't know me, but my <laughs> name's Ed Greenwood, and I thought of a new way of rolling dice that you schmucks didn't think of. So here's my article on rolling dice. You know, And I also am acutely aware of the fact that all the players and DMs read Dragon. Yeah, there's a lot of eyeballs on that magazine back then, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. So if I say something like there are eight orcs in room three and their hit points are, mm. then everybody who's going to assemble around a gaming table has read that. Mm. Mm. Whereas if I say in the voice of an unreliable narrator, QL Minster and later Volo, um, it's rumored that there are orcs in that rune castle, but I don't credit it myself. <laughs> I've planted the idea seed mm. for the dungeon master, but I haven't said anything definite. Sure. So if the dungeon master wants to change it, he has perfect freedom to do so without some rules lawyer at the table jumping on him. So you kind of wrote like, um, you know, and excuse me, I wasn't really dragon, but you kind of wrote like scenarios in some of your articles. Is that right? Like you write like a little adventure. Is that basically what well, happened? Well, they'd be passing mentions. Gotcha. Like, yeah. Um, I, I'd be writing about wagons and carts, and I'd say the carts can have roofs, permanent roofs, as they do in Arm in the Forgotten Realms, gotcha. or they can just have tents spread over them as they do in Kalamshan, you know? And, yeah, and so yeah. I'm passing mentions, which makes it sound more real. And I can it also does. put in things like merchants have found in a high wind that the poles rip through the tents that they're supposed to hold up. So they've, you know, and I can make a real world sort of yeah. detail or change. It's so very, it's very archive. You know, remember, you remember in the Lord of the Rings, the appendices It's very that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is That's cool. It. I love that stuff. That was great. But it, it, it allows a dungeon master to put stuff, realistic touches yeah. in, yeah. in a, um, in a gaming thing. Like you could, you could come across a, uh, a wagon that has a, tent awning over it that's got leather patches all over it overlapping and all rough and rude oh so this guy regularly puts his tent poles up and they go through and I, what's he trying to put in there that's tall mm. he must be transporting tall things and it's different 
than other wagons. So it's a cool little detail that the dungeon master could just toss off in five seconds to make this wagon different from that wagon so that when they're attacking all of them, mm. um, then he they can say the one with the leather patches, you know, just to, so I'm putting stuff like that in. And so Jeff is reading these dragon articles and he literally cold calls me. I'm working at, he he finds me because wow. I work at a public library. Right. In Canada. You're a librarian, yeah, still or not? Well, uh, okay, I'm a library clerk. Library clerk. I've never right. been a belted librarian. I have been a chief librarian right. and I have been the hair, chair of a library board. I'm on a library board right now, but I've never right. actually been a librarian. Okay. But I was working in a tiny branch, what we called a community branch which would mean I'd be alone on desk. There'd be other people in the building, sure. but I would be running the circulation desk uh-huh. in a one open room. Imagine a giant open room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the whole library, the public areas of the library are one room. Yeah. And so I'm answering the phone and I'm checking books in and checking book out. Yeah. And the phone rings and I pick it up and say, good afternoon, Burbank's community library. How can I help you? <laughs> and this voice says, hi, can I speak to Ed Greenwood? That's me. You got him. And he says, uh, <clears throat> you don't know me, but my name's Jeff Grubb. And I said, oh, I've seen you in Dragon Magazine. Yes, he says, and I've seen you in Dragon Magazine. And wow. I have a question for you. Do you have a complete detailed world at home? Or do you just make this stuff up as you go <laughs> along? And I said, yes, and yes. <laughs> Both, like you told me. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, And he says, okay, would you be interested in seeing that world published. Yes! Yeah, I said. Definitely. Because I've been making my own maps, and to color them, mm. I'd be using pencil crayons, which meant if you looked at the sea, you could see my pencil strokes. And I wanted decent maps that were printed so you wouldn't see my pencil strokes. Sure. That's why I said yes. Okay? So, yeah, no, I uh, get it. You, you, I get it. Like, you, you've created... I get it. You've created this whole thing kind of, like, out of your own head, and you probably had about a billion books... Uh, notepads, and you were like, "Yes, I can get properly published in these fancy yeah. TSR stuff." No, I, yeah. I, I get it, man. I get it for sure. Yeah. And and remember, there are no games, game worlds being published back then. No. You know, there isn't like potpourri of thousands of them out there. I just oh, it would be really nice to have all this stuff in an organized book. So when I'm writing my next short story, mm. I can just look it up. That'll mm. be cool. Um. So I said yes, and he said good. I'm going to, have you got a pencil and paper? And I said, Jeff, it's a library. Yeah. You know? And he goes, okay, so is that a yes? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yes. And he goes, good, write down this number. Okay? Uh Call it after five o'clock. It's my boss. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Mike Dobson. You'll be calling him at home. And this was the plausible deniability. If the call went wrong. Uh Uh-huh. Then he could just have never happened. Yeah, exactly. He he, he yeah. they made that. Yeah, I get it. You if if the number wasn't right or you got cold feet yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. So yeah. I I said yes, and the rest is history. Wow. Um, so it was, it was really, he, he called really you. Funny. He said he called he said, you and he offered you this. That's amazing to me. Like, but I guess thank God for you for Dragon Magazine because it kind of otherwise you would have just been up there in Canada doing your own thing. Yeah. 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 But you know. He said, so, um, can we talk money? And I said, money doesn't matter to me. And he oh, goes, really? don't say that. You're not a money I guy. Said, I would have thought. Well, no, yeah. no, I mean, yes, I am. I like to eat. I'm yeah. as addicted to food right. as the next guy. Yeah. But I mean, it, but it was like, no, it really doesn't matter. I just, I want this. And he, he says, okay, 
Never say that where our lawyers can hear you. I was okay? going to say that's dangerous uh, to say. That's dangerous it, to say to corporates. They'll screw yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But and but that's okay. You know, um, that's that's how the realms came to be. But mm. the pitch mm. that I said to Jeff was, mm. this is not the land of one big story like Dragonlance. Yeah. This is the land of a thousand thousand stories. Totally true. Totally true. Like Forgotten Realms. When I think of it. I don't think of just one thing. I think of quite a lot of stuff that's popping off all the time in all different areas. Um, yeah. In my mind, anyway. Yeah, it's not as defined by just one thing, and that's it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and the 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 benefit of that is, it has legs. Yeah. Because it's never over. Yeah. Which is what you want for a D and D world as well. Mm. Um, mm. it's never over. Um, so. That would allow them to do it, like we said, a kitchen sink world, put yeah. in Desert of Desolation and so on. And Jeff said to me already at the beginning, we're going to make changes to the world. I hope you're okay with that. I said, yeah, I'm fine. I understand. So mm. the first thing they did was sank my moonshades. Well, I've got a question were, about that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I understood from my research um, that you had uh, you know, your own world in the moonshade isles or whatever, your own setup, and then they, as you said, sank it for another novel series um, that was being launched there. But my question was, your version of the moonshade, did you just put that somewhere else, and what was it? Oh, okay. Mm. So my moonshades were a lot like Ursula Le Guin's Earthsea setting. Oh. Fantastic. Lots of little islands. Yeah. And fishing. An archipelago, they're called, aren't they? An archipelago? Yes. Yes. That's go. right. And if you look carefully at Ursie, mm. she modeled it very, very, very closely on the real world Hebrides. Okay. Yeah. Right. The inner and outer Hebrides north of the main British Isles. Mm -hmm. Um, She didn't model what was on them. <laughs> she didn't would... model the climate. Yeah. She modeled the general feeling. Yep. Of isolated islands, and some boats make it across, but most people never leave their home island and all that stuff. Mm. So I was doing the same thing. And my, my moonshades were fully mapped and ready to go and everything. But at the same time, TSR had been launched as a subsidiary in the UK, TSR UK. Mm -hmm. And they were going to do their entire own line of products. And right. that began as the sinister secret of Salt Marsh, which, you know, and some other modules and mm. then it got killed right halfway through but doug niles who was a, a designer at tsr in the united states at, in lake geneva mm. um, had been already doing his own close to england setting so it would feel oh, like right. england and he called it albion of course um and okay. what they basically did was file off the name albion and take his TSR UK setting mm. and make it the moonshades. Right, right. And so that, did you use your thing about the Hebrid, you know, the sort of like Earthsea style stuff? Did you put that somewhere else or you just ditched it? Uh, it they owned it. So it, right. was, uh, it was up to them and they just quietly filed it to the side. I still yeah. have the map and gotcha. so on, yeah. but I can't publish it. They own it. Um, I just thought they I, might have put it somewhere else. Like if I was them, I would have just gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, re reuse it. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if they ever will. Mm. Um, I, I, you see, that was the thing. Later later in the Forgotten Realms development, I kept saying, I'd like to do new areas. And they mm. kept saying, no, we want another Waterdeep thing. We want, And it's like, look, guys, I want to carpet bomb the entire planet. Gotcha. And, of course, they were always resisting that because if you don't 
cover the entire planet, you've got the uncovered parts of the planet to do any other weird project you want to do in the future yeah. without having to look up and tie in with existing stuff. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I get it, what they're saying. But, yeah, you wanted to keep – you had more. You're like, well, I've got more. Yeah. I've got, like, ancient yeah. Egypt and, or whatever. You know, yeah, I get it. So um, <clears throat> just drawing back for a second here, um, back when you were – so even prior to selling it, um, what was it that drew you towards gameplay and world design rather than just a series of, like, independent novels? Was it a social thing, like a feeling of shared community – because, I mean, when I read your source books in preparation for this show, they're very in-depth, detailed. There's a lot there. Like, they could easily be novels, you know, like a novel series. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. What, yeah. We, did you ever sit down <clears throat> in the years prior to even selling it and go, I'm going to write a fantasy trilogy, you know, kind of thing? Oh, yeah. I was I was um, puttering away on all sorts of Mm -hmm. uh, I did lots of realm short stories for myself long before yes. D&D was published. And then in the early days of D&D, when the realms was still mine, I was writing short stories for my own entertainment because that was the thing I ran into and over and over again as a, as a lonely little kid. Cause my mom died when I was six right. and I was raised by maiden aunts and grandmothers mm -hmm. and they were old school and, they, they loved the fact that I was reading because that would mean I'd be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, sure. that sort of thing. Sure. But but they didn't read much themselves mm. outside the Bible and so on, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yep. um, but my father was a huge reader and he had everything crammed into his study, his den downstairs. And mm -hmm. I come running up and embarrass the heck out of him when he had a house full of NATO generals or something. Wow. And I'd come running up the stairs with a a, a lurid paperback, Owl Who Trail, she was staked out nude in the sun to die. And I would go pounding up the stairs and say, Dad, Dad, this was great. Just, where's the next one? And he'd say, oh, son, uh, if you want another one of those, you're going to have to write it yourself. The uh, the author died in 1936. Right. I'd say, Good answer. Oh, okay. And I'd go running back downstairs to the den. And my aunt Clara, God, God bless her soul. Um, she'd done what every farm girl did mm -hmm. in two world wars and the depression. When you bought groceries in brown paper bags, when you got home, you slit the sides of brown paper bags till they were flat. You ironed them mm. and then you saved them for people to write on. Oh, really? Or in okay, her case, yeah. in her case, she had three young kids to to uh, raise and then we, so they she put the crayons and a and a card table and all this stuff down there for us to write on or crayon on so i was writing little scraps and pastiches and i would i would take something by lord dunsany or by seabury quinn or by fritz Leiber or by mm. michael moorcock or somebody i'd found sure and i'd write a pastiche sequel to it Gotcha. Which was usually absolutely terrible, but I was copying their style. Yeah, their but it's a great way to develop as a writer, though. I did similar stuff myself. Like, yeah, yeah, I used to write sequels. They were terrible, you know. What I mean, I used to write sequels to the um, Narnia when I was, uh, you know, yeah, yeah and like, there's, like, there's uh, nothing wrong with that. Oh, I shudder to read them now, but as a develop as a developing kid. I did it to Dragonlance too, actually. Um, but um, as a developing writer, when you're learning your craft, that's actually a really good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely. if you're if you're copying from Lord Dunsany yeah. and Rudyard Kipling, yeah, 
holy crap, you're copying from the top. I was going to say from the true classics like Rupert Kipling. Yeah. And, um, oh, you mentioned Michael Moorcock. Uh, he's a fascinating writer. Um, yeah. I've read actually, especially when I was younger, a lot of his work. Have you ever read the Jerry Cornelius novels? Ever, ever? Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, I've read all of them. <laughs> yeah. Dances at the End I, of Time as well. That's a good one. You know, I keep hoping he'll come out with, you know, he's largely retired now. Yes, and no surprise old. considering about, his age. Yeah. You know. But I keep thinking, where's the new one? Where's the new one, Mike? And he, <laughs> anyway. His output's amazing. So um, now, that, so that's interesting. So did you ever try prior to selling? I mean, obviously, I know you got a lot of novels published once TSR, you know, bought your stuff. But were you trying to publish, like, fantasy series before then up in Canada? Um, uh, I wasn't consciously trying to publish anything because i'd been writing to entertain myself Mm -hmm. and i would show all my my writings to my dad Mm -hmm. because you know a i wanted his approval and b i knew this was the sort of stuff that he liked to read and unbeknownst to me for the first little while he was taking them all to work right and and at that time he was working for Canadian Arsenals and then Canadian General Electric, and then he became a Prophet Ryerson um, at a university up here, and he would take them and there'd be a room full of guys mm-hmm. and they would read it. I'd be reading a a sort of James Bond type pastiche. I'd be I'd written, and he'd say, "Oh, this is this this chase scene's pretty good." To Bob. Uh, have him write a sex scene next. <laughs> My father would say he's five. <laughs> oh, God, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, right. And, 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 and then he'd say, "Well, you know, a little research, blah blah." blah you know, um, <laughs> but but I mean, <laughs> but I mean, it was fun, and that I considered that to be publishing. Sure. I was writing stuff. I was sharing it with an audience who loved it, yep. and I did get a book. Um, published just with a small press up in Canada mm. because it was all very casual then. Yeah. If you didn't expect to make millions, the author circuit hadn't developed. Canada was a small market, so yeah. there was room for about five, six people at the top. Yeah, yeah. And at my yeah. time, it was Farley Mowat, Pierre Burton, Gabriel Waugh in French, W.O. Mitchell, um, H. Gordon Green, Gregory Clark, uh, all, all dead now, of course, but I mean, sure. there wasn't room for anybody else. Yeah. People would come out with little novels, and if they w- had a dirty title, like some would call it adultery, there'd be a brief splash or something like that, sure. but then they'd be gone. Mm. There wasn't room for anybody else. So I didn't ever consider that. So I got a book published called Fool's Master, mm-hmm. and it was, a, it was a novel about kids doing hijinks. If you've ever read The Mad Scientist Club or one of those books... It's where kids get together and do things to hoodwink grown-ups and have fun. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like you know, fun. It's yeah. those sort of books. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So and, and as you say, then then really, I mean, uh, now uh, you know, without means to get into it all, this call that that Jeff Grubb made to you, it really is kind of life changing, then, isn't it? Because it takes you out of you're in Canada doing your own thing, sort of like playing to your own little crowd, and then this launches. You, literally your imagination um, into the world stage, if you think about it that way. Sure. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's crazy. No, so, I was yeah. still just up in Canada. I, I didn't, I never went on staff at TSR or Wizards of the Coast. Yes. I would come and visit them once a year at Gen Con time, but that wasn't so I could visit them. Mm. That was because of uh, customs regulations for Canada. You, you could only, and I was a gamer. I wanted to buy stuff at Gen sure. Con. Sure. 
And and if you were in out of Canada for less than 48 hours, you couldn't get anything duty-free. You right. had to pay um, import duty on everything. Wow. And if you were out of Canada for 48 hours or more, you had $25 worth. And of course, the customs officers had this little trick to catch you. They'd say, oh, where'd you go? And you'd tell them, oh, I went to uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Oh, where's that? Well, near Milwaukee. Oh, so you must have gassed the car then. Yup. Okay, there's your 25 bucks. Ha ha ha, sucker. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so, um, wow. But you had to be more than a week. Like, you couldn't count the day that you left the country. So eight days or more. So a good long trip, a good long trip down to the States, and you'd obviously go to these Gen Cons and and this kind of stuff and really load the car up, I bet, with stuff. Yeah, and then you could could claim 200 bucks or 225. 225, that's what it was, which meant that you could buy a few games and not pay duty. Yeah. And so give us give us an idea because I I'm, we're in Sydney, Australia here, and, and I've never been to a, a Gen Con. Like compared to a comic convention, is it similar in size or is it smaller? Like back in the, these days, like how big are these conventions? Oh, okay. So these days, Gen Con is I think Gen Con fifty four, fifty five. We're coming there. I started uh, my first Gen Con was Gen Con eight, wow. and it was okay. I'm trying to. Th- remember some of the small auditoriums in sydney um if you were at a small school gymnasium really a so really small. small one yeah okay that was the size of the horticultural hall that gen con 8 was held in right by the time gen con 13 was in a university campus and took over most of the campus uh-huh. a really nice one um gen con uh, sort of 18 19 20 they moved to milwaukee uh-huh. and took over a large convention center uh, then they've recently moved to, um, or relatively recently, they've been there for over 10 years now, Indianapolis. And what you have to think of is a large comic convention, Yeah. then take it up to about 200,000 people. Wow. That's big. That's, that's huge. a Gen Con. Wow. Wait. Uh, so, yeah, that's, if you've ever yeah. seen any television footage of the Indianapolis Colts uh, football team of the Mm -hmm. NFL playing in what they call Lucas Oil Stadium, Mm -hmm. which when you're there looks like a giant single engine railway house, like for the locomotive shed. Mm -hmm. Only imagine a locomotive shed that's five blocks long. Wow. So they're huge. They're big. Yeah, they're huge. And and yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gen Con, you cannot see everything. You cannot be everywhere. It's mounds of people. Elbow to elbow crowds shouldering yeah. through, yeah. perfect for COVID. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. And even before COVID, there was a, the the con crud. I know from like com- oh, yes. comic book conventions. Yes. Like, rarely would you go. Like, I went once. I'm um, with my girlfriend. Went to New York comic convention. Um, you know, a number yep. of years ago. It was it was great, but oh my god, was it busy? And we both got sick. You know, the next of course. day. Yeah, everybody did every yeah. year. Yeah. So yep. yeah, wow, that's that's impressive. Now. Um, switching a second, I'm an enormous fan of Waterdeep. For some reason, when when this you know when Forgotten Realms you know they started publishing the the modules and all that stuff, um, the just the idea of a massive city in the middle of the realms felt so cool to me. Um, can you take us through that? Like building that city, you know, its factions, its mysteries. Like, did you know? Was that again, the kind of thing you've been developing was Waterdeep there from the start kind of thing is what yep. I'm trying to say, really. So that yep. was, that's amazing. And I know that they, doing research for this show, looking at all the modules, TSR really tasked you a lot with Waterdeep. Um, did you have, for example, have the Undermountain in your original design or did you create that after you sold the concept? 
I, oh I'm, gosh, no. Yeah. Undermount was there from the beginning. It was the endless oh. dungeon. Wow. Yep. And did you map out that dungeon, man? Like, yep. Wow. Oh yeah, far more so than it's ever been mapped. And in, and and and, and forgive publishing. me, forgive me. I've never played that dungeon. Does does it actually get to a? Uh, is it actually endless, or is it actually at the end like a big boss? Like a oh yeah. no, at the very bottom. Mm. No, I can't tell you. Oh. No, no. Um, uh, at the very bottom, it's more like the, there's a pot of gold. Right. Uh, as opposed to, uh, I, and I'm saying this metaphorically, sure. there isn't literally a pot of gold, oh. but what, what you get is uh, a benefit. Um, right. Oh, what the heck? I'm going to spoiler it. Here you go. You're getting yeah. a first. Cool. Um, in, in the uh, original Undermountain, there was a gate that led anywhere you wanted to, it to lead. Right, right. So for me, it led into a garden on earth where my grandparents were still alive and they were serving a big meal and I, and all the family was there and I could just go and eat. Right. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. whatever you wanted to get to. And, cool. and when, it, when D and D came along, I added Bucknard's ever full purse from the original dungeon master's guide, which is you open the purse and there's always coins in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like an endless supply of coins or something. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. So I right. thought that would take care of everything I wanted or needed in life. And then I could do cool things with the rest of my life. So that was the, rather than a big boss monster. Yeah. 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 So is there a, um, you know, and forgive me for my own ignorance here is, did you, in all this water deep stuff, did you actually, have you mapped that out in the actual TSR official handbooks? Is there like an undermounted module? You know what I mean? Like there are there are about okay. <laughs> there's FR one water deep in the north uh, city system, which happened when I sent Jeff. I warned Jeff. This is really a city. Yeah. This is not like the village of Homlets, three buildings. This is a real city. It's a proper and city. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I send it under mountain, and he takes the map and go sets under mountain aside, mm. and then he takes the water deep map. And I have this because I had to photocopy it on a library photocopier, which distorts everything around the edges. Sure. Um, so it's distorting things. So I, I try and do a map guide to assemble it so that all the joins are in roads. So the fact that it, it distorts them doesn't matter. Mm. So that whenever you get buildings, they won't be distorted from one. Anyway, and, and I'm making the building so that if you remember Airfix figurines, if you're uh, 176... Um, yellow plastic military figurines before yes. anyone else did minis. Yes. Yes. I do. Okay. Yeah. Plastic minis. I mean. Yeah. 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 I, I know soldiers. what you mean. The little plastic soldiers. Yeah. 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 So the base, the rectangular base of a single airfix soldier would fit inside a rectangular building like a New York brownstone. Right. Like a typical um, downtown Sydney. Yeah. The stores lining the main streets where there's a store on the ground floor and there's two or three floors of apartments and offices above it mm -hmm. a rectangular brick building those buildings the 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 base of one airfix figure would fit the outline of that building on the map so you could say our party is in this building and yeah. the dungeon master could say and the patrol of soldiers is here <laughs> yeah using another figure so it was that scale so jeff cut out all these pieces and taped them all together the only place upstairs in cubicle land at TSR, which was a converted Q-tip factory, and all the designers who did all the real work were um, upstairs on the second floor. Right. And he he had an N cube, 
and he laid them all out on the floor. And the only place he could find to lay them out was the carpeted area between the cubes and the two washrooms, <laughs> men's and ladies' washrooms. So he laid them out, mm. and he's looking down at them going, wow, this yeah. is so cool. And then Karen Boomgarden comes out of her cubicle needing to pee. And he goes, don't! Don't step on the dog! And she looks at him and says, I have to pee. And yeah. he says, yeah, well, don't go this way. So I, I think in the end she peed in a vase. Oh, you know, or, uh, anyway, and but and then a TSR vice president comes around the corner. Mm. And he go, looks down and just as I said, don't walk on it. It was a great, great chance to tell the vice president where to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because, you, know, you know, ordinarily, you know, you wouldn't dare. But anyway, um, and, and he's, he looks down and says, what is this? Yeah. And he says, this is the world that, that Ed sent me from Canada for the, he goes, oh, we've got to publish this. So that became a box set called City System. Right. And then Waterdeep got its own box set with uh, Kelvin Blackstaff uh, writing a Kyrin on the, on the cover. And then it got a hardcover book yeah. that Eric Boyd did to upgrade it to third edition. And then it got Waterdeep Dragon Heist in, in fifth edition. So yeah, Waterdeep's so been going. covered all over. But it hasn't been covered properly, not once. Yeah. Because I, I never had the space. No, I get it because it, it really – and you were involved in a lot of the modules from what I've seen, weren't you, at some, at oh, some yeah. level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's – I always thought it was just fascinating um, to me. I guess because when I first got into D&D, it didn't have Forgotten Realms. And I was always like, what is the world? Because I came from like Tolkien and all that. Right. And, and as, soon yeah. as, as soon as they had it, I, I felt like I could – Enjoy it more, you know, like, yep. um, yeah, there was something about it. Now, um, <clears throat> business question. Now, I understand yeah. you were a freelancer when you're working for TSR. Surely they made an offer to bring you on full time. Was there just more money in it for you to stay as a consultant and keep the regular day job up in Canada? Like, did they ever offer you and said, Ed, come down here, we'll put you on staff? You know, you've obviously <laughs> got a ton of ideas. Many times they made offers. Five times I said no. Yeah. And and here's the thing. Mm. Um, what they considered a generous offer sure. um, was less than I was making at a poorly paid Canadian library job. That's terrible. And the other thing yeah. is, um, well, because gaming isn't that lucrative but weren't they making one. a lot of money in like i mean i remember sure. they were making tons weren't they man like back yeah then? yeah well okay yeah but but here's also the other thing is um i'm canadian sure. so i have largely free medical gotcha Not yeah completely like if you live in canada and you have to um uh, you you have a condition for which you have to repeatedly buy meds. You mm -hmm. have to pay for the meds. But if you uh, and if you have to go in an ambulance, and you're not a shut in or not in home care, you pay I think thirty five dollars for the ambulance. Right. You know, a nominal fee. Yeah. But that can cost you tens of thousands in the United States. Yeah. And and if you go for a hospital stay, you can end up bankrupt in the United States if the you know. So you had a good that's life all, up in Canada, all, basically. Yeah, you had a wife and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when they're saying, you know, we've got great medical and dental, and I'm sort of going, yeah, I get all that for free. Sure. Yeah. So you know? I, yeah. So for you, it just wasn't attractive. Like if they'd pumped the tires on the offer, would you have seriously considered it? Like if they'd made you a general, really general. Like if they'd, if they'd said 500k a year to come down, you know. Oh yes, yeah. I would have probably said yes. And here's the reason. Mm. Um. I would have, my wife, who had a library job just like mine, 
Oh, what really? She was, a library, she was in the library too? Were you together? Yeah. In the, were you in the same library? No. Well, once they discovered we were together, they moved me because <laughs> you can't have the nepotism of a married couple That's you know, working in the same library and maybe topping each other. Were, were, you, at, were you at rival libraries? <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they moved me away to another library. Um, that was hilarious. That is funny. Because as long as we were together and didn't admit it, they just all turned a blind eye. Sure. And the day we admitted it, oh, I had to be moved. That's crazy. Anyway. Yeah, but anyway, uh, no, no, but but uh, I she would have had to quit her job and move down to Canada. So immediately, okay, now you have to make it worth my well for both myself and my wife. To yeah, yeah, yeah. I quit get her it. job. Yeah. Then all the red tape of getting a green card, which is neither green nor a card, yeah. you know, to to go and work in the United States, yeah. and then you have to leave all your friends and family yeah, and upgrade it. everything. Yeah. It it's a lot. I'm just and, surprised. And, I'm surprised they didn't, considering the amount of product that they were putting out and the amount of money it was bringing in, and that you are the architect of it. Honestly, I'm surprised they didn't pump the tires on the well, offer to get you down. Here's the you know? thing: I, I had one of these conversations with Jim Ward, mm. who was at that point sort of, I think his title was creative director. Mm -hmm. Um, and he said, "We'd like you down here under our thumb." Sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was leveling with me, you know. Yeah. And and I said, but, and he says, we we really don't want you to write for other gaming companies. But you know, he knew there's, he knew there was no way he could, um, like, short of a personal services contract, yeah. there was no way legally to wrap me up. Mm. And Except were you doing other work staff. for other people as well? Like, was that part of the deal? Like, were you busy elsewhere as well? No, not really at the time. But he wanted me not to be able to be hired away by another gaming company. Right. You yeah. know, uh, and I said, Jim, there's a much cheaper way to do that. Mm. And he said, like what? I said, just keep me so blame busy. I can't write for anybody else. Sure. He says, oh, okay. So that's what they did, which is why. And mm. And here's the thing. What they were getting out of me was more than the work of a senior designer. I was yeah. doing more SKUs a, a year than their design staff were. So they were working me harder than a staff person and they didn't have to pay for my pension. They didn't have to get medical or dental. Yeah. I wasn't taking up a cube in the office. So they it paid was, you by product. Because when I read your stuff, because yeah. I read a bit of it, you know, leading up to the show, it's it's dense. Like, you, you really put a lot in there. There's full... You, you're a storyteller. Like... Oh, yeah. yeah it's, Every it's, single yeah. thing I wrote for them, mm. I would overwrite mm. by probably about 30, 40 percent, mm. just pouring game lore about the world at them. And at the beginning, they loved it because they would cut it off, throw it in a bucket and mm. get a free product out of it. Like sure. FR5, the Savage North, mm. is all offcuts from FR1, plus what Paul Jaquay's now Janelle um added of her own yeah. to make it a real book. She added Eric the Alchemist. She made it a tour of the North. Mm. But the the root game, hard game stuff was just stuff that had been trimmed. It was FR1 water deep in the North. It was the North bit cut out of FR1. Yeah, which makes sense. If, you, if you're giving them a ton of product and I'm managing yeah. it, I'm going to take all that and use it somewhere else as well. Inter yeah. Interesting, man. So, you know, like... How is your, I mean, now we're in 2022 and, you know, you, you've you've been there for a long time, like, involved. How is your relationship with them now? Like, with, is it Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro that own it? Do you still have a relationship? Do they still use you? Like, what's the story? Um, 
they sort of went silent on me in 2016. And I think that was, I think that was Hasbro. Right. I think they were thinking of, you know, this guy's been on board and all the talks about the D and D movie, you know, and he's the creator. He'll probably want to be in the movie and uh. it, he might sue us at that point to get tons of money. If he thinks it's making, now that wasn't the case and I would never do that. Yeah. But I think they were, I think, Somebody talked to somebody and they thought, okay, we'll safeguard ourselves. And the other thing is, um, they were doing away with the novel line and they, they yeah. sort of, what happened to the novel doing... line? What happened to the novel line? Because it was so, it was for a decade at least, like it, you couldn't get away from it. It was everywhere. It must've sold gangbusters. It, it, at one point it was outselling. And remember, there's always been more people who read books than people who play role-playing games always yeah yeah for sure and and so for a while there it was out selling the games like five to one and then ten to one but no that that has changed the Mm. the game is now on a huge upswing upswing like crazy um, yeah years and years ago when hasbro took over wizards of the coast Mm. the then head of ts or of wizards of the coast book department brian thompson phoned me because he phoned me every week and chatted anyway and he phoned me and said okay Start looking for other uh, other work. That's really? the end of the line for us. And I said, oh. "What?" He goes, "Hasbro is, is not in the business of publishing books, wow. fiction. Wow. Um, they they jettison every fiction from everything they buy. So they and they have bought many properties over the years. They just get rid of the book line. They move that out of house so that the yeah they license it the out like their comic books. They license yeah, it all out. yeah exactly yeah. yeah. Okay, that's so interesting. He warned me of that and mm. and. Sure enough, when they got through all the contracts that they currently had out, yeah. they did away with the with the book line, mm. which I think is a mistake. I but... do too. I do too because I think the a complimentary book like like look at D and D now for whatever reason it's very popular. It's you know it's got that nerd cool cachet to it. If they had tons of books in bookstores or or on Amazon Kindle or whatever new stuff, I reckon it would sell. It'd just be another revenue line. You know? Oh yeah! Not only would it be another revenue line, it would be, if properly written, mm. it would be a lovely gateway into the role playing game. True. And uh, particularly, what if what if you're a six year old girl, mm. and you have a great imagination, and you don't have any friends that are gamers, and the only gamers you know at you know at school are older boisterous guys who don't want to have anything to do with a little girl. Sure. But you start reading. D&D novels yeah. and getting immersed in the world so that when you do have the guts, like say when you're eight years old, mm. to march up to the school D&D club or the school yeah, gaming club for and say, sure. I want to play D&D. And somebody looks at you and say, huh? And what do you know about D&D? And you can chapter and verse about Waterdeep, chapter 100%, and verse about 100%. Elminster. And, and they, their mouths drop open. They say, oh, okay, have a seat. Holy crap. Totally. <laughs> I, well, I'm surprised that if they license, like they license now the uh, comic books, I want to say to IDW, I, I think. Yeah. Um, yep. They could easily license the novels to some another publisher. Like it's not well, that hard. Bob is writing new Drizzt books because yeah, uh, he is uh, Harper Collins yeah. editor was a D&D fan. Yeah. And, they, and Harper Collins went after a limited license. But it's for Bob's Drist book. It's not for any other realm. Which are big news, which are big. They have, oh, gosh, you know, yes. stayed. And I actually deservedly so. Oh, 100%. No, he's someone I'd love to get on the show. Um, yeah, you are right. I mean, but but a lot of that stuff would, would sell well. So, 
Um, so back in the late 80s, um, we had, I don't know if you remember this, but we had computer games coming out like Pull of Radiance, Curse of the Azure Bonds, sort of like 10 years before Baldur's Gate. Um, and they really played with the Forgotten Realms. They had like Elminster, Elminster in them and stuff. I yep. think it really helped players like me understand the world more. Did you have a consultancy role in those games? Like, were, were you aware of them? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. I was not a programmer. I was never, um, but I was often asked for lore sure. for them. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you play one of the Baldur's Gate games, there's a oh, place yeah. uh, where you can go into a library mm. and you can read at least the titles of the books. Well, in a weekend, I generated like 200 book titles for that just for fun. <laughs> Uh, always for free, games. you know, but I mean, for free, um, really for free. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because uh, Jeff would phone me up and I'd say, send it. And and yeah. then later on, they got into paying me as a consultant Good. because they they felt it was, you know, the right thing to do. Mm. And it also meant legally their behinds were covered so that they could ask me stuff. And don't worry, he's on retainer. And sure. I didn't mind any of this. This was fun. But I mean, yeah, Jeff would call me at the beginning and said, hey, Ed, you got this newspaper called Neverwinter Nights. It's published in Neverwinter. <laughs> We're going to steal its name for a computer game. You okay with that? And I'd say, fine. I just wanted to see it out there. Sure. You should. You know what you should have said. You just said, for 100K, I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. No, no. We never had that relationship. No, I, I get it. I, I get never it. want to have that relationship. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I was always doing it for the love. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, look at my bank account. You can tell that I was never doing it for the love. No, <laughs> uh, but but no, no, it's it, it's totally OK, Um, because what I really wanted to do was get the Forgotten Realms out into the world. And, and I certainly did. That. Yeah. So it's taken me all over the world. I've been to Australia twice, Excellent. once for five weeks. Wow. Touring for really? Elminster, the making of a mage. Oh, yeah, really? Fun. Oh, wow. Did you ever get down to uh, Tasmania, down to Hobart and stuff like that? Because that's no, where I'm I didn't. From originally. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, they they didn't have the dosh to um, put me on a plane on or a, a plane. boat. Yeah. To because I, I think there was only one bookstore that that uh, Random House Random House's offices are or were. I'm not sure if they still are. In Sydney, they're right down by the bridge on the right. uh, north yep. side. Yep, yep, yep. And and that they they had one bookstore in Hobart that they were selling to. Wow. Yeah, it was probably Fuller's bookstore. Um, now, um, have you, I mean, I you sort of said you never had time to play video games. I do recall there was a game called Dragon's Dogma, which I thought, um, apart from the you know the Baldur's Gates and Neverwinter Nights, was as close as they got to a proper Dungeons Dragons. I feel on console. I also feel Elder Scrolls, like Oblivion and Skyrim, are a major debt to D and D and the Forgotten Realms. I, I I I don't know if you've ever come across the Elder Scrolls games in your time. Uh, Ed? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I've been showing almost all of these games. What I haven't done is played them for any length of time because I'm too busy. Maybe when you retire, Ed. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll retire when they drop me into a pine box. I was going to or... say that's what Robert Jordan said on his um. I remember yeah. on his book bio, I'll keep writing until they nail me into the coffin. I was like, Jesus, okay. Yep, yep. <laughs> now. Yeah, like I've wanted to have a model railroad for like 40 years. And I just buy the magazines and leaf through them and say, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that I'll never have time. You know what? I'm. You know, this is so funny that I'm talking to you because I, I must admit, with my life, I have work, writing, the show. I always wish... I had more time to play these D&D games. It's so funny. And I have, 
at times. You know what I mean? Like, but I've yeah. read, I've read a lot more than I've played. And when I have had a chance to play, I've really loved them. We're playing a campaign right now with my mates, and I'm a, as usual, evil warlock. <laughs> I'm a warlock. It's so much fun being a warlock. Like, it's so easy. You just have to walk around. I always say I worship the Dark One and <laughs> cast Eldritch Blast. Like, it's, it is very enjoyable to just play. Um, but time is always a factor. Now, I've got a question for you. The I'm not sure if it's a city or if it's a – explain to me, Zental Keep. I was yes. always fascinated by this city and the mysterious group, the Zentarum, and I'm actually now a member of it in my <laughs> – Yeah, but I don't really understand what it is. Like, um, how long had Zental Keep and the Zentarum been in your imagination? Because I remember them from the 80s. So were they always like the bad city, you know, when you were doing it? Yeah, they were in it from the beginning. Uh, I wrote a story – that I don't think has ever been published called the long sword. Uh-huh. And it's the story of how Manshoon arranged to off his older brother mm-hmm. when they were out on an adventuring expedition. And Manshoon did that and came back to Zental keep, which was a city, mm. a fortified Northern city. Mm. And it, it, controlled a a huge fortress called the Citadel, the Raven, which they hadn't built, but they'd Mm -hmm. taken over. Mm. Um, And I told the story of how he engineered a takeover, a political takeover in realms of villainy. Mm. Um, I, it was a short story called so high a price and Manchun started up, um, a, a a evil wizards um, organization brotherhood, along with Bane, uh, a, a, a priest of Bane called Vizul Chembril, mm. and a bunch of beholders. Love and the it. idea was that they would control the shortest trade route from the Moon Sea. Yes. The Central keeps on the north side of the Moon Sea, and there's yes. all these mineral resources to the north of it. So if you can fight off the ogres, the beast men of Thar, mm. the ogres, and the Flind, who live up there, and all the orcs and hobgoblins <laughs> and so on that raid, um, and get the, the mineral wealth out there and ship it to the Sword Coast. The Sword Coast has all the food, textiles, everything else you want. Yeah. But there's this desert in the way, Anorak, the Great Desert. Uh-huh. So everybody has to go around it on the Heartlands caravan routes. Well, if you could go straight across it and mm. cut the travel time, you could undercut everybody else. And so that's what the Zentrum were for. They were a trading thing to all get rich. Yeah, and they've got such a bad reputation. But, like, you know, like, it's like, come on, these guys are just trying to make money, you know? Well, yeah, except, of course, <laughs> that the whole point of being a member of the Zentrum is you don't – the, the, the end justifies the means. Yeah, yeah. And – uh, what what Manchun did mm. from the very beginning, he realized that all of these wizards are incredibly ambitious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's going to face attack all the time. Mm. So he set up this whole system where you had to prove yourself as a Zentrum mageling, mm. as in, you know, lower class novice. You had to go on dangerous missions and prove yourself. And it was quite okay if you dueled or, or tried to assassinate somebody else um, lower down. Mm. 
uh, they'd let you get away with it if you succeeded. If you died, you died. Yeah, if, if, if you succeeded, that was fine. That was your lookout. But if you attacked a, somebody above you, they just obliterate you painfully in front of everybody. It would take a long time, and you would be made an example of. So that's what he was doing. He was setting it up so that only the fittest would end up near the top. Yeah, I get it. It's yeah, it's yeah. like uh, it's yeah, I, I dig it. Uh, so, are you saying that when I'm getting these overtures in this current game campaign I'm playing to join the Zentrum, it's kind of a bit of a deal with the devil? It sounds like. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, the Zentrum these days in fifth edition. What is it? They they had a PR problem, so <laughs> right. they tried to recast themselves, particularly after the uh, trading enclaves of the Red Wizards of Thay started to be abandoned and so on because what was going on in say the centrum said oh we're just going to be your kindly traders right merchant traders we're just going to be your local get everything mm. guy mm. um we're sort of the amazon yeah we're the will. amazon of the forgotten realms <laughs> yeah 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 um but but of course that's a front yes for <laughs> I see. So there's more going on. Now, um, back when um, – so this kind of ties into my thing because I was always fascinated by Zentor Keep. I thought it was cool. Now, back when TSR was like an independently owned company back in the 80s and, you know, you're developing product for the realms, did you have any guys in your ear saying, how about the we build up the evil guys? Like why does evil always have to lose? Like um, – do you know Evil what I mean? Evil always have to, has to lose because TSR had a code of ethics. Right. Because back in those days, um, the satanic panic and oh, what yeah. Jim Ward called angry mothers from heck, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they were at grave danger of being pulled from every bookstore, grocery store, magazine spinner rack, and therefore truck stop everywhere mm. in the southern United States. Really? So it was a real – it was actually a real – uh, problem, uh, how can you say, perception-wise. You know? Oh, yeah. And yeah. we used to have people even come into the library in Canada and say, I'm <laughs> going to pray for uh, I'm going to pray for you. And I'd say, thank you. Go Very for it. Very nice yeah. of you. Good for can you? Um, yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, ma'am, you're in no danger. And yeah. they'd look at me and I'd say, because you're wearing a wedding ring, so I'm going to assume charitably you're not a virgin. Oh. Um it's only virgins, and do you have any black candles at home? <laughs> yeah, so if you're a virgin yeah. and have black candle, then maybe you're in danger. But other than that, you know, that you was know, such no. a me- that was such a media beat up, though. Really, yeah, like, of it, course. It was. I, I remember, and I'm young, you know, and 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 my parents didn't even really understand what it even was. And, and someone, someone along the line, said to one of the teachers, because we had a D and D kind of club that it was like satanic panic. And, and so they asked me, and I was like, I don't even really understand what that even is. Like, <laughs> I was yeah. like, because it was pre-internet, and I was just a kid. And I'm like, look, we just enjoy playing as, like, dwarves with my battle axe, you know, fighting evil. We're fi- I was like, we're fighting evil. I, so I don't even understand, well, like, what, what, why why we're evil. Like, we're actually... Exactly. Fi- yeah, we're, and, the whole adventure. Somebody, somebody you know? once asked me, like, a media person at hmm. a Gen Con, hmm. So why are there demons and devils in this game? Well, they're and baddies. I said, because there's a... And I, I picked up the player's handbook, <laughs> and I handed it to him, and I said, flip to page whatever. I've forgotten the page number now. Yeah. And it's a full-page illustration of a paladin in hell. Yeah. And he's fighting all the... He says... And I said, that's why it's in the game. To yeah. give the paladin, the, Ro- the Roland, the Charlemagne, the St. George... The evil to fight. This is a game in which you can fight and slay evil. 
Yeah, it's true. And, it is true. And he yeah. said, "He said, oh my goodness." And then I noticed that he was wearing a ring that had a crucifix on the ring. Mm. He was a religious reporter from one of the Christian networks, and he said, "Do you mind if I ask you a few more questions?" And I said, "Not at all." Uh, and we sat down, and he asked me all the questions. And he he says, "So this is not an evil game." And I said, "Oh no, no, it's not. This is a game in which you can do anything." So if you're playing with characters, players who want to be evil, who mm. want to act out, or who just want to be teenagers having silly fun, the sort of fun Which that gets kind of what it was, vandalism. really. Yeah. There can be bad things happen at the game, but it can also be a game in which you, you save the souls of the damned. And he mm. said, oh my goodness, yeah. I'm going to go home and write about this. This is great. Yeah. There you go. See, and that's how I sort of saw it too. I, I, I never really understood, especially when I was young, um, I, I never understood that, like, they're saying the game's evil. I'm like, the whole game is you're fighting against evil, like you're clearing out dungeons and et cetera, et cetera, yep. like, you know. And as you say, Paladins, and, you know, people are turning undead and all sorts of stuff's going on. Now, um, Elminster, I know um, your image kind of, kind of merged with this character who was <laughs> – who, as far as I'm aware, is kind of the ultimate wizard scholar of of the realms. Like, how did this happen? And I also read somewhere that you were actually, well, like, there are other characters that you were related to more, but Elminster, 100% your creation, yeah? You created this back in the 70s yep. and 80s, yeah. So how is it that it, you kind of became the, the, the Elminster kind of thing? In, is that right, in the, in the realms? Yep. Okay, it's because... Um... TSR needed to do seminars at Gen Con. Okay. And the problem with doing seminars at Gen Con <laughs> is they turn into um, opportunities for someone who's careless to let slip information about a future product. Oh, like spoilers kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I both deliberately or accidentally. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, and they wanted to avoid that. And the other thing is they didn't have enough designers to um, sit there and do all these panels. Mm. And, the, and if you say, oh, we'll, we'll just run games. Well, they, those take much longer novel slots, uh, much longer program slots. Sure. Me. Um, oh, hours long, so, wouldn't it be? Yeah. Like, yeah. So the other way of doing it was to say, why don't we have Ed dress up as Elminster and answer questions? Oh, you actually dressed now. up like in a cloak and a wizard's hat? Please yeah. tell me, did you have a wizard's and hat? So, yeah. Oh, I, yes. I, and I, I would put on this huge costume that I, that I made myself, yeah. and I, the, the conceit was that Elminster's in the hat. So if you Love want it. to ask Ed a question, say, I want to ask Ed, and I'll pull the hat off and gotcha. answer as me. Gotcha, yeah. And if you want Elminster to answer... Just say Elminster. I'll put the hat back on and I'll put it. on this fake British. You accent. must have gotten some really geeky questions, man. Oh <laughs> yes, and, but but I could improv for four hours. Yeah, and we yeah. once we once at another convention, not Gen Con, did a six and a half hour improv as Elminster. Wow, Jesus! Um, just off the top of my head, I hated wearing the costume that long because it's. <laughs> Miles hot, so just between as it gets to our four, you're sending the flag. Yeah, underneath <laughs> these clothes, I am naked. Uh, well, Jesus. I mean, I know that's true for all of us, but but I mean, um, yeah, I get you. Uh, in my case, I would wear the costume. Were you, with nothing were you on underneath like, it. were you, I don't know, are you a drinker? Were you drinking like a lager or something or a 
coffee or no. something to get no, you no, through no. this? No, 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 water occasionally. Just water. No, well. no, I, I wasn't. Uh, this is the United States. This is the Midwest of the United States. You were States. dead straight. You can't serve alcohol right. in a place where children could be walking around? Oh, no, 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 no. Gotcha. They could get yeah. the whole thing shut. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite sure that some of the people in their belt flasks, Had I'm something. sure it was something very strong that was colorless. So uh, well, uh, if you're um, a six hour improv, Jesus, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but anyway, uh, that, and then later when they, when, um, uh, Brian Thompson wanted us all to write about signature characters. Well, mm. Drist was Bob's signature character. Sure. Yep. Margaret and Margaret and Tracy wrote, uh, well, Tracy wrote, I Strahd, which oh, was yeah. you know, Strahd the vampire. Yeah, and yeah, I wrote, yeah. Oh, Minster, the making of a mage. And he picked the title. He said, you're going to write a book called Elminster, The Making of a Mage. Cool. And during that book, Elminster is going to be all four of the core character classes. And I said, "Wow! oh, so really? I'm jumping through hoops. Okay, can he be both genders too? And he said, <laughs> what? You're and just being said, silly now. You're just being silly. Yeah, <laughs> just being silly. And then he said, that's a cool idea. We'll get, we'll get girl readers. I like it. Do it. So I wow. did. Wow. So... And I assume that's the origin story of Elminster. Is that right? The making of the mage. Well, no, he was. He, yeah, it is. Yeah, the uh, in in the uh, novel, that's exactly what it is. Mm. His origin story. Uh, Elminster was around before D and D. Oh yeah, he's been around telling. forever. Like I, I remember him. Yeah. Like in the Polar Radiance games, Elminster was kind of like the wise guy you'd go to. He was kind of like the all-knowing wizard. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly it. Yeah. He was the unreliable narrator. Yeah. I didn't want to make the party be able to use him so that they didn't have to face any danger or do anything. And they just, mm. oh, dear answer, man, tell us good, we'll go take the Because I imagine at some point, you know what, I think I've even looked it up. It, his stats are somewhere, aren't they? Like he's very yes. high-level wizard he's and all this. He's been statted for every game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, always too low. Do you, but, I was going to say, you must think, that's right. I, I was going to say that. When I looked at his stats, they're high, like his levels. But I'm like, I reckon they could even be higher than what I'm reading. Because like, he's like the ultimate, isn't he? Yeah. Well, he's the ultimate not because he's the ultimate wizard. There yeah. are many wizards who are more powerful and accomplished than he is. Really? But he is the servant of the goddess of magic. Gotcha. And uh, for And the goddess of magic keeps getting killed off and being brought back um during one Love of it. her incarnations is that mistra is that mistra yeah uh, one of mistra's incarnations elminster was her mortal lover oh really yeah lovely um but 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 you know yeah well yeah i had to finish the novel somehow <laughs> but anyway uh no 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 and and everybody says oh that was just your self insert you know mary sue no oh, no it's Jesus. not because like... elminster was not me i just played him on television no <laughs> yeah i guess so it became your signature which is a good signature i mean he's a cool character like yeah and you've got the the beard and everything like you really have um oh yeah, yeah but i yeah. was asked to play him by tsr and then later on they said hey ed could you stop playing him because really? we want to shift the focus of the game. And of course, again, that was Hasbro saying, we want to separate you from the character. Oh, how mean. That's, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. That's but very I mean, much like Adam West when they told Adam West he couldn't wear the bat suit when Batman that's 89. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah I would did. have been like, you can't stop it. He's just me. I can't help it. Like, I just am him, you know? <laughs> like, it's. Yep. Anyway. Yep. That's but fast. that's okay. That's yeah. A, they, they asked me to stop, so I stopped. So, um, 
But at your yeah, when, if, you, if you're gaming, like I imagine up in, you know, you're in Toronto, yeah? If you're up there and you've got a little gaming group of buddies, are, are you, do you, like, when you're playing a game, do you ever play, do you DM with the hat on or do you play your Minster? Surely you're playing him in your gaming group at times, yeah? Uh, only when they ask me to. Right. Like, only yeah. when, you see, they determine where we go. Yeah. In the game. Yeah. And which, and... The, the core realms group, we almost never get together anymore because we're all over the world. You, oh, you don't do it on together. Zoom or anything? Because we do ours on, like, um, on Discord. Yeah. We do ours yeah, on Discord. Yeah, but, but that just happened. Yeah, All true. of us are so old that yeah, 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 yeah. social media and the internet came along later, and we all had to use it for our jobs. Sure. So we never got into the habit of using it for fun. But you, yeah, I get it. But do you have, like, a, a backup kind of local group that you sometimes go to oh yeah 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 but i mean uh they again i i let them be the heroes they sit down in in game yeah they sit down and have a council of war and and decide where they're going to go what they're going to do that's cool and a lot of it isn't adventuring it's like let's go and talk to the lord we need a loan for this and let's go that guy hasn't paid us for our uh the rental let's go talk to him is it quite high level Um, like because you guys have been going such a long time like uh the home realm campaign is knight's level um my the original guys the home the 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 one i play with now is third and fourth level oh that's that's perfect i think i i I actually have only ever played it the highest level i ever got to is probably i don't reckon i even got to nine but it was around nine you know like yeah yeah and i think there's a lot of fun to be having those early levels um you know i i like the adventure now i want to sort of shift we're getting towards the the latter half here um, some of your novels, I read a couple of your novels leading up to this and I read Spellfire, which I think was one of the first Forgotten Realms novels. That is a book that does a lot of heavy lifting for the realms that the Draco Leech cover was a stroke of genius. And <laughs> I, I mean, it, I love that thing. It's just so crazy. And the scene in the book where the character Chandrell meets the, the Leech, uh, the Draco Leech, whatever you call it, has a mental leak of his past. That is great. Like, when you were writing that book, which I imagine was like the first wave of the Forgotten Realms, you you crammed a lot into that book, didn't you? I was told, show us the realms. Wow. That's a challenge and, in one book. And then I wrote his book. Mm. And then the head of the book department retired for health reasons. Really? And a new head came in. And the book had to be cut by two-thirds. Wow, I, I, I thought they what they're silly. They probably should have just made it a, either a trilogy or two books. Yeah, you know? but they oh. they uh, they they just trimmed the book, so you've never seen the the full Spellfire uncut. I mean, it's um, a good book, yeah, man. It's and- a good book, dude. Like, um, I really like the scene. You have the enemy female mage as she's dying. She turns out to have had a friendship of some sort with her minster. I thought it was great that you gave her some depth when she could have just been a generic bad guy. Um, yeah, she was a scene. former apprentice of Elminster, and they were, well, they weren't exactly lovers, but, you know, yeah, they, they were affectionate. Close friends. Um, Close friends. And then it's sort of like, I wish you hadn't made the choices you'd made. That's a good scene, thing. man. Like, So I guess at the start, they may not have realized how big the novels were going to become. You know, because yep. those Forgotten Realms books, I remember... I mean, they spammed it. Do, do you think they 
I mean, obviously they were selling well. Did they? Do you reckon that oversaturation became an issue later on down the line, or was it never an issue? Uh I don't think it was ever really an issue. Mm. I think uh, what happened was, um, as fantasy publishing in general mm. outside gaming, yeah, changed and moved towards the mainstream and books be. Um, it became the habit to do more what we call doorstop fantasies, you know, the, really, the really big books. ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Robert Jordan and so on. Mm. Um, the fantasy uh, publishing world in general started to get oversaturated and then mm. started to split into um, grim dark and so on in the same way that um, if you were into rock music back in the day mm. and you really love prog rock, like Genesis and so on. Eventually, there was this reaction against it by a new wave, which, punk rock, like punk, which, yeah. bas which basically meant you didn't have to be a master of sixteen instruments; you could just play one instrument really loudly. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, which which opened the the genre to a whole bunch of people mm. who hadn't had their chance because they weren't um, musical virtuosos in the same way. Uh, there were other things on offer now. Mm. So, and, and way too many fantasy books coming out for anybody's wallet. Oh, it's enormous. It became like the, the biggest section in the bookstore, really. Yeah. Like, you know, it was, yeah. it was, it was enormous. Like that, I've got a, a sort of follow-up question to that. Like, do you like, now still read fantasy and what do you think of the more modern stuff? What, what they call grim dark fantasy and even like all the paranormal fantasy series that are in, you see online, especially like I read them all. Really? Um, uh, it, I'm sitting talking to you mm. in a room that probably has about 5,000 books in it. Wow. I'm sitting in a house that has around 300,000 books in it. Really? And I, ha I have two shipping containers parked in my yard, crammed full of books. Wow. And, and is it a big house? I mean, 300,000 books. Yep. Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. a big house. I got four and a half <laughs> acres here. Oh, great. And, and there's an old farmhouse um, sprawling over a lot of them. I mean, uh, yeah, you, you I are Elmins, you are Elminster. Come on, let's face it. Like, I don't care what Hasbro <laughs> says. You know, you've got all the answers there. That's So if I said to you a name like uh, Joe Abercrombie, I think his name is, is that right? The guy yep. who does The Blade yep. itself? I think they're very good books. Um, yes. Yeah, I've recently and read them. I have one of them right here. Cool. <laughs> he just put his hand on it. Yeah. I'll tell you another <laughs> good book, Demorne Soulfighter by David Finn. <laughs> Uh, that's mine. Okay. <laughs> that's mine. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, now, look, I wanted to talk to you about the code of the Harpers. Now, mm. I find the Harpers fascinating. To me, one of the coolest things in D&D. Now, I would need to know, can you take us back to Crash of the Harpers? Was this born organically at your gaming table? Um, or was this a later creation um, after you sort of sold the rights um, what, what, what's the story of the Harpers? Cause they are a cool organization, man. It's before both of those. Wow. Um, the Harpers were created when there was no D and D published, right. when it was just me writing short stories, the Harpers were sort of the Sierra club mm -hmm. of the forgotten realms. They worked against tall poppies. Gotcha. Um, any ruler 
who became too powerful. Mm. They thought that ruler would become corrupted by power and would become a tyrant in one way or the other. Probably so, true. Probably true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that that ruler had to be subtly worked against, not fought, mm. not openly, but mm. his his or her ambitions had to be thwarted, slowed down, given complications. So they were kept busy trying to do whatever it is they wanted to do so they wouldn't have enough leisure time and strength to decide about conquering the world. So, okay, so any, from my understanding, it's not just bards, is it? Because Elminster's a harper, isn't he? Like, it's, Yes, he, can he's it be a, a founding member. There's also yeah. rangers, there's all sorts yeah. of people. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, you just have to kind of be against, it's, you have to be on the side of good, and you have to sort of ascribe to their code, but it's kind of a pretty loose organization, am I right? Like, it's a bit... Yeah, yeah, Lucy yeah. Lucy. Um, yeah. Well, it's sort of like, uh, <laughs> um, do not listen any government representatives who are listening it. in to this. I love um, it. It's sort of like a terrorist uh, society <laughs> that, that has isolated cells because yeah. there's strength in not every member knowing who every other member is. So right. there are some who act as go-betweens, but the rest, you only know your little cell. Yeah, okay. And so, are they everywhere... Because obviously, what do you call the continent? Is the continent of Forgotten Realms? Is it Faroon? Is that right? Like the, is that? Uh, yes, the yeah. main continent you're on is Faroon, yeah. which just means home in an old language. Okay, so they're all through that, which is quite a large, expensive area. But if I go to, and I'm going to sh show my knowledge here, Karator, is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. If I go there, are there Harper cells there as well? Uh there are not cells. There are. Spies. spies and by spies please don't get the james bond idea right they are not secret agents they are literally observers okay they they passably observe right. and then they report to traders as uh -huh. in t-r-a-d-e-r-s traders yes. mer traveling merchants who come through uh who who for money carry word reports coded reports abbreviated coded reports so you could if you intercepted one of them, you wouldn't know what it was you were reading. But, like, one of those reports gets back to an Elminster or someone else, and they know yeah. what's going on there. Yeah, okay. So they're just telling them what's they travel. They travel They travel on the spice roads. Am I right? Yeah, that's See, it, exactly. I, I, I know my character, man. Um, now, okay, so that's cool. And I think that must have been an example of something that's – like, you came up with that in your own personal lifetime – and then yep. you built it into your gaming teams. I imagine some of your gamers became Harpers. Um, did you ever do this? I'm sure you do this. Like you're you're gaming with one of your groups, and you have a really cool, you know, in a campaign you might have a really cool adventure. Geez, geez, that worked well. Would you spin that into a module sometimes, or a, or a book? You know, you 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 know you change it, but the basis of it came at the gaming table. Does that ever happen to you? Oh, all the time, mm. and. It, it started to happen in earnest mm. in uh, when I was writing so much for TSR from about 1987 onwards for about six, eight years, because mm. they would ask me to play test stuff. Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and sure enough, I, I would play test it at the gaming table. Um, the fell pass. Um, I uh, borrowed from a dragon magazine appearance and put it in the realms yeah. uh, at the request of someone at TSR sure. to see how we'd handle this new rule. 
And how did how? I mean, I imagine that like the audience slapped it up. They couldn't get enough of this stuff, could they? No, it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. loved it. Now I've got a question for you. I was doing my research, and I love my research, Ed. And because I don't want to, because you, you've got such a depth of knowledge, you've got to come in. You, I know we're headed to the deep water. The Serpent Kingdoms, I love the conception of this. Uh, this is a module you did or a source book. Basically, reptilian creatures that had massive empires across the realms prior to the sort of current timeline. Were you having a bit of fun with the conspiracy theories about how lizard people actually run the world? You heard this kind of stuff, people online? Oh, like- yes, yeah. Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who were having fun with those theories were the people who put them in the game long before I came to the game, yeah. uh, to, to writing for the game, the people on staff at TSR. When Eric Boyd and Darren Drader and so on and I were writing Serpent Kingdoms, the book, mm. the third edition source book, um, we already had all this uh, Saruk and Creator Races stuff, and Eric was exploring it and fleshing it out and making sure it was all coherent it's from cool. all the various mentions that had been in previously published Realms Lore. And we were putting them into the game, but our only sort of brief in that mm. book mm. is we wanted to drive home the point mm. that it isn't just humans or haughty elves looking down their noses at everybody else <laughs> yeah. who can have sophisticated empires. Yeah. Everybody can. Every race can. Well, yeah. I, I like, we a minot- too- like a minotaur could. You know, the minotaur yeah. race, you know, for example. Yeah. So I guess we were doing diversity before there was diversity. I think it's cool, <laughs> man. Like, uh, I started reading that book in preparation for this interview, and I was like, I was like, Jesus, this is interesting stuff. Like, I didn't know that these guys were around, but... You know, it. I remembered, because um, I'm a big Robert E. Howard fan, um, especially, you know, back in the day I read them all, and I seem to recall him playing with the, the, that concept, you know, reptilian races before the dawn yes. of time well, and stuff. Well, okay, yeah. actually, Howard, before Conan, the right. precursor to Conan was King Cull. Sure was. And King Cull fought the Serpent People. See, that's and what I'm remembering. That's what I'm remembering. It's it's like if a, you yeah. said Kalaja Karajarama, mm. they would turn form. Like wow. if they were hiding in human form, and you said that to them, it forced them into their serpent-headed form, and then you and then he stuck his sword through them. <laughs> do, do you do you think um, just D and D itself? Do you think I I I see Robert E. Howard had a real influence on like? Oh sure, Garrett, yeah. Is is that, uh, I assume that's pretty common knowledge. But it, but when oh, yeah, I yeah, when yeah. I read he, it, it feels like he it, and and Fawford and the Grey Mouse are the Fritz Leiber stories. Mm. Um, they were some of. And, and of course, Tolkien with yeah, the of Minds course. of Moria. That goes without that saying. Stuff. That goes without saying, doesn't it? You yeah, yeah. Tolkien. yeah. Um, but he actually put in the original um, Dungeon Master's Guide, there's an appendix mm-hmm. uh, in which he, he lists uh, Paul Anderson's Three Hearts and Three Lions, um, all the books of fantasy at that time that oh. inspired him. Interesting. And what's so funny is I think D&D – you know, with its amorphous kind of like nature and how it drew from so many sources, actually influences other stuff. You know, in term- novels as well. Like there's there's a very sort of like self feeding thing going on. It's kind of cool. Now, um, yeah. So, I've got a couple of questions here. Did you guys ever do a Viking expansion in Forgotten Realms? I know you've done it now with Fate of the Norns, but in the Forgotten Realms, were there Vikings anywhere? Uh, right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Doug Miles, remember we were talking about yes. the moonshade. Yes. He had put he'd put the Norsemen mm-hmm. in the northern part of of his archipelago, mm-hmm. and um, they just sort of said, "Oh, so the Vikings can be sort of from here and from Ruatham." I said, "Sure," because the ruler of Ruatham was the first axe. That was his title, the first axe. So they just sort of said, oh, we can have Northmen here. And so the Vikings sort of made it into the realms that way. Okay. Um, Did you ever think, could you ever think of this? Like, I I thought of this the other night. Orcs, but orcs as Vikings on ships. Because you know how the Vikings, like, raped and pillaged and stuff? Like, I love Vikings. But they 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 were bad news bears for a lot of civilizations. And you could have orcs coming in on ships, going crazy off the ships. Yep, and uh, one of the artists, staff artists at TSR, actually did a drawing. I I was going to say painting, but it was really a a colored drawing. Mm. Um, uh, for uh, to that regard, with orcs wearing yeah. um horned helmets, and they they weren't horned Viking helmets; they were the skulls of lo- giant creatures that happened to have horns. That's cool. I like that they were wearing drawing. on their heads as helmets as they stormed ashore out of a longship. And right. started attacking all the humans. And, of course, that got nixed right away because oh. the code of conduct. Oh, the you damn code of conduct. It. Yeah. But, but like, they're baddies then. I'd be like – Yeah, but, yeah. but e- bad uh, – evil could never win. Gotcha. Which is why yeah. evil could have won in the past and be in control when you start the story. I got you. But you couldn't have them coming in and just decimating right. and just, yeah, right. And That's evil that. couldn't do graphic evil things, particularly involving sex. Sure. In front which of you. Un- which is understandable. Like, uh, th- there's, yeah. uh, there's some restrictions. But I'll tell you what I used to love about um, even now. You know Larry Elmore? Um, yeah. His, like his drawings and others as well, they're, they're so beautiful to look at. Like... Um, I've spoken to Larry on Facebook, and I'm just like, man, you you set the imagination alight with these pictures, you know? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, you know? Uh, Yeah, I love Larry's art. Uh, And actually, the one big regret Mm. I have that the old the the old TSR is gone. I mean, Mm. the building's still there. Sure, it's it's another company inhabiting it right now, and it was a Q-tip factory before TSR inhabited it, Mm. but. If somehow TSR could be, if you could go back in time, I would want everybody to walk through the art department. Sure. A lot of time. Because, talent. of course, there were Playboy things stuck up as, <laughs> as cool. anatomical well, references. These are artists. But there were, also, you know. <laughs> there were also wings from birds, acorns, interesting pebbles, pieces of beach glass, yeah. leaves from trees, um, a real skull. And uh, a jointed human hand where somebody had put wire and beads to hold the finger joints to get all the bones together. And amidst these easels, these inclined wooden easels with gorgeous acrylic paints that just pop, Mm. um, the original art just glows. And when you print it, it's about 15 to 25 percent more drab because the blacks go and everything. Anyway. I believe that those artists sold a hell of a lot of copies. No, no insult to the content, but I, I, you know, I'm a kid and I saw that basic handbook with the red dragon and the guy with the, you know, the soldier with the horns, yeah. And I, I just bought it on that. Do you know what I mean? Like they shifted copies yep. with their art, like just their pictures. Yep. Um, amazing. And, uh, let me tell you a story, um, which I can get away with because, unfortunately, Keith Parkinson is no longer with us. Sure. 
Um, the cover for FR1, Water Deep in the North, mm -hmm. shows a beholder and his crime group. Mm -hmm. And one of them is a, a drow female. Mm -hmm. And they're all standing, and an intellect devourer and so on. Well, he actually painted that and then put the clothes on acetate layers that went over it so that he could sell the original with everybody in the nude. I love it. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but, but they're the kind of hijinks I love, you know, like, because these are artists. Like, it's not all so corporate. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yep. you know, there's 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 a real, like, level of sort of, like, raw creativity to the whole thing. Now, I've got a question for you here. As a moody teenager, like, I'm 13, 14, you know, I think I've got all the answers, Ed. You know what I mean? And I'm, you know... Mm -hmm. I got very, very excited by the thought of the Horde campaign and those books and the clash of cultures. So I'm wondering, as you, the creator of the realms and somebody who was supplying a ton of content, especially on the whole Western aspect, what was your take on this nomad invasion that was clearly inspired by like Genghis Khan in real history? Because I thought it was a real game changer as a kid, you know? Yeah, well, okay, you had two designers on staff, Zeb Cook and Doug Niles, yep. who were ex-history teachers. Right. So this was right up their alley. This was meat and drink to them. Mm. And they were staff designers, and this is a story they wanted to tell. And because it was a lovely dynastic-type story and mm. gave us this um, sweep of the realms, mm. and it gave us um, heroics, involving lots of nations and because frankly it it aped the osprey books of the era you know where what, what were osprey they book, osprey okay. the publisher the british publisher osprey okay they have a whole line of books where it says napoleonic uniforms of the you know and then it's uniforms of the hussars and so on and there's these little white paperbacks mm -hmm. with gorgeous paintings showing you uh, military people in proper uniforms Mm -hmm. Usually it's a painting with three people in it, mm -hmm. a guy on a horse who's an officer, a lower ranking officer, and a just plain Joe, mm -hmm. you know, but in the in the uh, uniforms at the time. Well, there were uh, they wanted to do an Osprey book for the realms mm -hmm. gotcha. because it gives it gives many painters. Here's the uniforms they're wearing. I gotcha. Yeah. OK. So and and what happened then? And, and so did you have any hand in it? Uh, directly in in that series? No. I just read them as they came out. <laughs> they were great. Like, I mean, like, I just like the idea of, I guess the part of me, uh, you know, uh, was, was a guy who got heavily in D&D &D and Oriental Adventures, and then I see this hordes coming, and, you know, like Genghis Khan in real history, he invaded, I, I would say, more territory than anybody. You know, like... He, I think even more than Alexander the Great. Like, and so it was kind of like that in the Forgotten Realms. And like, remember he, the the one of the leaders um, or the leader of the Horde, he had a vision of is it Cormir? Is that how I pronounce the name? Yep. Yeah, Cormier, and he was yep. gonna. So he, look, that's a long way from where he was. That is so like. Um, that is just so. It's like using real history and putting it into fantasy and. Was it a big game changer for you? Because, okay, you're not directly involved, but did you have to alter anything you were doing or was the nature of the realms that that story could happen and you could still move your own pieces around? Yeah, it, it, I could, it, 
that could happen over there and mm. not affect directly what I was doing over here. That was the whole point of the land of a thousand thousand stories. Mm. All you had to do was have a realms traffic cop and TSR always did. Yep. Jeff Grubb was the first one and the longest serving one. Yep. Um, later on, we had Steve Shand. We had uh, Julia Martin um, very briefly. Um, oh, Stan Brown and mm. oh, name just went. But the Fox do, woman. Anyway, we, yeah. um, uh, as long as you had a realms traffic cop, which basically makes sure that you don't use Spider-Man this month when somebody else is using Spider-Man somewhere else. Sure, Spider-Man's off in space. You can't have him doing yeah. this. Yeah, I get it. Like, So I, I don't mean to bore you with this stuff, but I guess it just inspired me. So I, I'm only going by the name on the box, but back in that time period, which from memory, and my memory's vague, it was late 80s into the 90s, did you ever sit down... Um, with like a Zeb Cook and raise a glass or maybe smoke a bowl and get deep into it right into the meeting of the East and the West. Like, did you ever... Karator was his stuff, yeah? Am I right? Yes. So, yes did you ever... Right. But, you know, you, you're a very sort of like well-read man and, uh, you know, you've got your own stuff. Did you guys ever sit down and really toss around ideas for the both of the... You know, you'd go, well, I've kind of got a story for you and he'd be like, well, I've got one for you. Did that ever happen? Uh, that happened with Jeff. Right, they, with they Jeff, kept, yeah. Because I was not on staff, mm -hmm. um, they tried to keep the liaisons to be the freelance, the the, li the official liaison for freelancers, Bruce Hurd, who's mm -hmm. the guy who hired us for mm -hmm. projects. Jeff, because I was Mr. Realms and he was the Realms traffic cop. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. they tried uh, again because it's um, it's to protect the company from lawsuits and IP sure. and so on. Yep. They were trying to um, insulate so that other people wouldn't directly talk to me. But what mm. happened was after every convention, like Gen Con, we were sitting on the same panel and we yeah. threw out ideas. Yeah. We would get together afterwards. And every year when I came to TSR, they I would be asked to sit in on design meetings. And then we would have those talks back and forth that must but, have been fun that must have been a bit of yeah. fun for you yeah because it was it yeah. was really great but yeah. here's the thing the realms works better mm. when people do have the the authority or the the elbow room to do their own thing if they're telling yeah. a story here and yeah. they're telling a story here and the realms traffic cop just makes sure that they don't invade a kingdom conquer it and butcher the royal family a month before the other guy is using the royal family very much alive in his book you know mm. as long as you avoid those sort of um consistency problems it works better yeah when people get the chance to tell their own stories which is why i was delighted mm. when uh the horde thing came out because mm. it was different it was man it was it was it was i agree with you and i i guess i just uh, you know i'm a you know a, a, a fan kind of thing and i always thought to myself as I was researching this, I wondered if if Ed has ever gone. You know what, Elminster and Carator, like on a on a trip, on a oh, spy yeah. trip or we, something. We, yeah, ideas like that we threw out all the time. Cool. Yeah, but well. but the question is, what would get published? Exactly. Because you've got to remember, um, in those days, there's no internet, there's no pixels, there's mm. no uh, web supplements or extra um, PDFs that are the cutting room floor stuff mm. word count is word count and yeah. you can't make it any 
bigger. And you and the danger, not the danger, but like as you say, you've all got your own areas, and you sort of want to have freedom in those areas. You don't want it to be, you want it to be a special occasion when they clash. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you don't want it every day of the week. Yeah, interesting stuff. Now, um, I uh, hadn't read fantasy for like twenty years, and I found a lot of um D and D people talking about Jack Vance, and yes. I'm I'm reading the Dying Earth now. It's very enjoyable and. I know that everyone, you know, says the spell system, but the actual story is pretty cool too. Like, oh you, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack is no longer with us, I'm afraid, and no. he wrote some great mysteries too. Mm. Um, uh, so, some of them under the name John Holbrook Vance. Really, and um, so, uh, trying to find some of this stuff is now much more difficult than it once was. They're, they're putting a lot of his stuff because uh, I only recently got into him, man, and mm. they're putting quite a bit of his stuff, more of his well-known stuff, on Kindle. You can get it pretty easily, yeah. um, which oh, is good. great. Yeah. So the, I, 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 I'm going to butcher the name, but it's called Lionessy or something. The trilogy. Lioness. Lioness. Sorry, apologies to Jack Manson no and the world <laughs> for that. But uh, that's my next one that I'm going to read after Dying Earth because I'm really enjoying Dying Earth. I think it's I think it's fascinating. Um, oh, there's there's another series, mm. um, Big Planet, mm -hmm. and it has one sequel called Showboat World, mm -hmm. and that's fun to read. And then there's the uh, Alaster uh, tr trilogy, okay. uh, loose trilogy. They're all different. They're different planets in the Alaster system, and they each have a a local society and ecology that is completely different from the previous planet so it's a fascinating world building each time and he created that that's his that's his yeah yeah okay cool yeah. i'll check that now i've got a question for you one of the big topics we have on signal doom is we're big well i'm a big tolkien fan and they're doing the rings of powers tv show which is this i don't know how much you know about tolkien i'm assuming you know a fair deal um it's the second age so it's the age yep. of like numenor and yep. um all that stuff I love that stuff because it's in some of the, I think, the appendices and there's unfinished tales and all this. Now, here's the question, Ed, and I want to get – I'm talking to – you're a scholar, you're a, you're a library man, and you created the realms. Now, I'm saying in this show, which is – a lot of it's going to be based on Numenor, which is the big island, the people, the descendants of that become Gondor. So they're traveling around on their boats. You know, I'm imagining it's a big part of the show. They're going to travel around, explore new territories and stuff. I'm saying they land on a territory and they encounter a samurais. Now, do you think that that is likely? Because I do. And this is a constant debate on Signal Doom. So I'm going to a man with a fantasy background. You're a world builder. Would you do it in Rings of Power? Okay. When you say samurais, you mean lock, stock, and barrel from our world? Oh, very heavily or influenced. You know, like... You know, when you see them, you're like, wow, that, they're definitely using Samurais as a massive inspiration here, you know? Uh, it's quite likely, because yeah. if you are a showrunner for a uh, television series, you're trying to, A, leave your own mark. Yes. B, do something different from episode to episode. Uh, C, take things in an unexpected direction, mm -hmm. because the Tolkien scholars are going to crucify you anyway. Sure. No yeah. matter what you do. So this is sort of like, yeah, but I think this makes them, uh, I, I'm going to assume that everybody here is working with the best interests of the, the source material and a success for the show at heart. Okay. Sure. Yeah. They're going to say this might make um, a better story for this episode. So I'm going to do it. Mm. 
Yeah. So you know. yeah. So you're thinking your answer. Thank you, and thank you for this, Ed, because we've got a bet writing on it uh, on the regular show with my co-host. Um, is yeah, I, I think the idea of Numenor sailors roaming around, you'll see quite a lot of different civilizations. You might see orcs as samurais or orcs yeah. as whatever. You know, yeah. like they're going to do all this now. Now um, the question, the, the other, the larger question is, should they? <laughs> and no, the answer to my answer would be. Is there a good, effective story reason for it right here and now? Well, Sauron could be influencing because the that man. That is always the argument that comes up of, why didn't you put more gay people in our books? Or why didn't you have orcs as the heroes? And we would yeah. always, or why didn't you have detailed sex scenes in the books? <laughs> well, that's obvious. And we would always come back and say, <laughs> was there a good story reason for it right then and there at that moment in the story? And if the answer is no, then it shouldn't be in the book. You could have Sauron influencing them a little bit, and then the adventurers could come in, and Sauron gets expelled. I mean, I could write the episode myself. I oh, sure, know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's always the. Uh, I'm just saying that's the question that should be ans- asked. Sure, and that's you know, right. Is there yeah. a good story reason? And if the answer is yes, then do anything. Yeah. Like samurais and whatever, do anything. Yeah, just just um, build a good story around it. Now, I've yeah. I've, I've noticed. Um, you were saying that Hasbro kind of haven't been returning a call since about 2016, which is a shame. Um, I've kind of noticed that modern D&D, and by modern I mean like the last 10, 15 years, they seem to be very laser-focused around the Sword Coast in particular, um, which is great. I mean, the Sword Coast is fantastic, but they have a whole planet, don't they, Ed? Like, wasn't that the point of what you were doing? Like, what, uh, uh, you know? Yes, however... Mm. Um, <clears throat> if they keep D and D laser focused around the Sword Coast, mm. and Hasbro is licensing the rest of the world, right, for movies, comic books, um, lunch boxes, bendable hand puppets, mm. TV series, it's awful lot easier to say to a potential licensor, "Oh, why don't you set it over here?" Yeah, right. Uh, okay. You can do anything you want because we haven't detailed that. But are they doing that instance. though? Because I, I, I mean, I, I don't. Yep. They are doing that. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so there's you, product coming you out. You keep the gamers in the Sword Coast, mm. and then somebody who licenses something outside has a free hand. Gotcha. To do whatever they want in that other place, and you still get the licensing fee. And if they do yeah. something, um, you don't like. Uh, gamers can just sort of say that's not happening in my realm. It's not canon, yeah. But if the, yeah, yeah. But if they do something you like, it's just an added benefit to the realms. It's it's made your IP that much better. So why not? And yeah, that and that. Yes, I agree. And that ties into a question. So you were mentioning the movies. Now I know I want to. I'm going to get his name wrong. Uh, is it Christopher Pine? I believe is going to yes. be. Yeah, he's going to be a lead in the new D and D movie, which I am really looking forward to. Uh have you had any sort of even like honorary kind of role in this? Have you have you seen any scripts? Have you, you, you no anyone reach uh, out on, on the previous iterations of the movie when it went through other studios? Mm-hmm. I was involved in all the uh, all all the uh, sort of pitch meetings. Really, that would have been cool. Yeah. That must have been really cool, man. It was. Uh, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I NDAs apply, so I can't. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't mean to like you know tell us the exact breakdown, but that would have been a great experience to 
pitch meetings. That'd be fun. You must have heard some wild oh, pitches. Yeah. Some wild pitches. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And it, and it was fun. Yeah. Um. But uh, this time around, this time around, I actually got backdoor access without intending to because mm. um somebody who will um remain nameless mm. because I don't want to get him in trouble. Sure. Um, called me very drunk from his trailer. Love it. Um, because they were in COVID shutdown. Yeah, yeah. With nothing to do. Um, to ask me. So I need to know these things about the Forgotten Realms anyway. And they tell me you invented it. Yep. Yeah. I like it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, we had a nice little chat. But That's other cool. than that, um, no, I haven't officially been involved. So I can't officially tell you about Hugh Grant being the villain. And I can't officially <laughs> tell you about half the cast of Fast and, and Furious being in it. And I can't. I love it. You. Harrison yeah. Ford's the end villain, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I and I don't mean to pry any personal affairs, but do you see anything from that at all? Because it's based Oh, no. On gosh, no. Nothing. I don't get a penny. No, oh, nothing. Okay. Wow. Um, gee, that's, that's I, mean, I don't mean to bring the mood down, but that's wrong, I think. I, you know, I think. I that, agree. You know. Yeah. Where are my millions? Where are well, all my starlets? Well, I, you know, I got the whole house ready for starlets. You got the five acres. You got the five acres. <laughs> you could do something with that. I just, I just feel that a, we get it in comic books all the time, man. Like where they say it's work for hire, which is essentially what they're yeah. telling you. But you also created the whole damn world. Um, yep. Yeah. So um, anyway, we'll get off that. Uh, but that, but that's okay. I'm not kicking about it because no, you sound... uh, I signed that deal fair and square. I knew what was happening. It's mm. okay. Yeah. Okay. No, it's cool, I don't man. Mind. It's cool, dude. Um, what I wanted to ask you was, I know you're, but you're based in Canada and you're based in Canada in the eighties. Did you ever meet Gary Gygax in person? And, oh yeah. And how oh, did yeah. you find? Did, give we used to do panels together. How was hey, he? How was I, he? I man? saw Professor Tolkien in person. Really. Well, I didn't I'm, talk to him. I was at the other end of the lecture. How hall. was he? Was he kind of like a bit snobby, or was he? Oh gosh, no. But but Professor Tolkien was an academic professor. Yeah. As in, he's talking like this. Yeah, right. And you're straining to hear every word because he's not a public speaker. Exactly. He was just a. He you was know. really just a great, great, great world builder. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and everything. How was Gary Gygax? Because we hear so many mixed tales. But dude, I'm so disconnected from it. I just want to hear it from the horse's mouth. What was it like being with him? Gary was okay. Gary Gary was, I think, what they call passive aggressive now. Right. When he got angry with somebody, he usually wrote it down. Really. And and put it out in up on the soapbox or one of his other outlets because he was you know publishing a gaming magazine oh um, right yeah but when he was in person he was as nice as nice could be yeah okay and he was a nice guy and we had lots of wonderful chats because he never had any beefs with me and i never had any beefs with him and yeah. he didn't see me as any sort of uh threat to the company or his game or anything um i was just a gamer who wanted to talk to him and mm. If he knew that you liked fantasy and science fiction, fantasy in particular, mm. and were a gamer, it, he would just sit back and chat and relax, and it was yeah. great. And when he realized that I'd read all the, you know, uh, Edison, Morris, yeah, uh, all the early stuff, not and uh, Mattis of Gaul and so on, not just Tolkien and there and, and what came after. Mm. It was like, oh, good, off to the races. And we were talking old pulps and everything. 
Right, yeah. So it was because I do feel, I mean, it's it reminds me of Stan Lee. Like the, the man's passed away now, and I, I, I find the second he passed away, out came the haters, you know? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, dude, no one's perfect. I mean, you put a mirror in my life, you know, you're going to find something you go, gee, Dave's made a few bad decisions. We all have. It's just yeah. that these guys, and I, I feel sorry it's not the right word, but as you're saying, I think he had a lot of pressure on his shoulders. You're trying to manage a business. There's always going to be bodies buried somewhere. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, we're yeah. all human. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you would have good chats with him. He, if anything, you helped his game massively by introducing all this stuff. Um, it, was he a was was he a sort of bitter at, at at the whole thing, or like as in like the company he lost, or would or would he shrug? Did he have his millions regardless, or what? What was the story? I don't know. I don't know what his personal feelings were. I can tell you that when he was on panels and everything, mm. it was just a smile and a shrug. Right. But I don't know if that's because he'd signed a legal agreement that he couldn't talk about it or mm. he was over it or what. Yeah, yeah. When did he you pass know, away? Was it in the 2000s or was it earlier? Uh, no, it was later, later rather than yeah. earlier. Right, yeah. yeah. Interesting guy. I would have loved to have got him on the show. A lot of guys, uh, a lot of people have perspectives on him, but I'm like, well, he's the guy who created this, and it probably blew up a lot bigger than he intended. I, I doubt. Oh, yeah. I he doubt, had a yeah. tiger by the tail. It was, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I remember when Gary, oh, this he, now I'm sounding like an old fart. Mm. I remember when Gary was doing D&D in his basement, Yeah. and he was buying Pete of Pete's Freight, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was buying Pete a brick of beer. Uh, that's a two four, twenty four bottles of beer in a in a cardboard box. Right. They call it a brick in the U.S. Midwest. They call it a two four in Canada. I think it's I a slab. They uh, slab. They call it a here. slab in yeah. Australia. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I never got to drink that much beer in Australia <laughs> at once. So okay. Um, <laughs> you didn't work but, your way through a slab. <laughs> yeah. No. No. I, they'd always give me craft beers one at a time. Lovely. In a glass, you know. Oh, uh, but anyway, he would buy Pete a two four a beer, mm. and Pete would take the box of D and D stuff that was outgoing to whatever bricks and mortar store was it and and would pete drove stuff from lake geneva to general mitchell field which is the airport in milwaukee mm. to be mailed for the u.s postal service so he would take gary's single box and put it under his own seat as he was driving the, the little panel van mm. so the panel van's full of somebody else's cargo that's pete being paid for and pete gets paid 24 beers to ship out this one little box of D&D stuff. So Gary went from that, yeah. being a shoe repairman yeah. in his basement and doing D&D in his basement to running this company that was growing uh, each yes. month and faster and faster. Yes, and that's what I'm saying, dude. That's like if, like, and I, I hate to use myself as an example, but I'm, I put books out on Amazon. They sell a little bit. You know, I have my job. You know what I mean? I have my life. Imagine if that blew up bigger than Ben-Hur. And all yeah. of a sudden, you're dealing with movie producers, you're dealing with TV, you're dealing with people telling you the next big thing. It's a lot to take in for a guy who previously had a career path that was quite different. As you say, it was more of a hobby that became a business, you know? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah, I've, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like, what do you do? I mm. mean, part of it is it's wonderful. Yeah, of course. But the other yeah. part of it is... I'm a deer caught in the headlights. I wasn't expecting this. Exactly. Now, um, I've got a couple of uh, sort of wrap-up questions. Now, uh, there was a controversy. Now, so 
I know you're not the Oriental Adventures guy, um, but I am a huge, was a huge fan in the eighties. Like, so I was all about ninjas and samurais, etc. And then I read that um, in later years, it became very controversial and kind of like, um, you know, some people are taking a lot of exception to the fact that the they were sort of, for want of a better word, co-opting or whatever, doing the Asian version. Um, what was your take? Because you're so super disconnected, but you're still connected in that, you know, you're a and d kind of aficionado and you've created the realms. What did you make of that whole controversy? Uh, do you think there's a right answer or, or what? Well, my take was, you see, guys, if you'd listened to me in the first place, you could have avoided this whole thing. What was your Except- take? Except they weren't going to avoid this because remember I talked about the desert of desolation modules with the pyramids. They had those before the realms and they were going to shoehorn them into the realms and they did. Mm. But from the very beginning, I have said, do not put too close real world analogs Mm. into the realms Mm. because, and from my take on it was just, it ruins the role playing. Yeah. You're immersed in this fantastic world and the dungeon master is explaining what you see around you. Mm. And you have to take everything at face value and ask questions. Well, you know, what this, what that. And you're never getting derailed by what you know of the real world history or Hollywood's version of yeah, real world of course. history. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you never have the rules lawyer sitting at the table who says, wait a minute, stirrups weren't invented until, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Samurais didn't that. use that sword, et cetera, that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 So you want you can avoid all that by just never having any real world close real world analogs mm. in the realms at all. Mm. Sure. Which is why I didn't want real world analogs in the realms. But TSR did not follow they, that advice at all, man. <laughs> yeah, and they go ahead and do Arabian adventures Mexican. and Oriental adventures, and yeah. it was just like, oh, for goodness sake! Was there you a guys pushback? Know what trouble you've bought that well, you didn't have to buy? Was there pushback? Then, because I was too young. No, yeah. not at all. Yeah, because I remember it being super popular. Um, yeah. But this is my group. This is pre-internet. We're loving it. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and gamers, military miniatures gamers have always done this because yeah. you're always redoing Waterloo or you're yeah. doing a, a game of what if Genghis Khan had pushed through to yeah. what is now France. 100%. You know, you're doing what ifs. And you're saying, yeah. and what if Genghis Khan had founded his empire and hung on to it for 300 years? So mm. his great, 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 great grandsons now have muskets and there's a war, you know. We'd so be, we'd be in serious trouble if that was the case, I would dare suggest. True. <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, Minichi's war gamers have always done that. Yeah. And this idea of cultural appropriation and so on ha- had not come along no. then and nobody raised their you know that's uh, more of the, the last idea. 10 years isn't it like you yeah know, yeah that's that's interesting man uh, am i right in saying i've got you on here i'm going to use your advantage of your knowledge it did genghis khan the furthest he got in the west am i poland am i right was it around poland i think around there yeah, yeah I, I can't remember because i i covered all that in great detail scholarly detail and then uh, it was so long ago, and then sure. they said, no, we found new archaeological stuff. And then they said, yeah, but, you know, the boundaries of all the European countries, oh, geez. Yeah. But it, it's so interesting. My, my poor brain just went, I've lost track. Yeah. Now, 5th edition has coincided 
with a real rise in the popularity and cultural reach of D&D, have you noticed um, that it really has become like a lot of Hollywood stars play it, which is, of course, an advertisement for it. They've got the new movie, I mean, I'm hoping it does big business. I remember the movie from 2000 or so. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I don't think it was a huge hit. Um, do you think the world's ready for – I mean, it, it does feel like D&D has, again, become the kind of cool game. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. It, it's become very cool. And part of that is the same reason that we're getting Marvel movies and so on. All the people of my age have grown up to run movie studios. So they're making the sort of movies they yeah. wish they'd gotten to see when they were little kids. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. You know, that's cool. But yeah, I would, uh, I hope this D&D movie, which is set in the realms, mm. you know, um, as the default world. I hope it does huge Me too. business. And I hope on top of that, it's something that died in the wool gamers can be proud of yeah. when they can turn and say to non D and D people like say their grandparents or their great aunt, great uncle have never played games. Just sure. vaguely think it's some silly satanic stuff or <laughs> um, that women show their, their, their bodies well waving fake swords and that's D and D right. where they can turn around and say to these people, you know, that D and D that you've been on, this is D and D. Well, I yeah. want it to be a movie that they can say that's D and D now go and watch it and be odd. Well, I, I think I it's am. quite possible. <laughs> like when you look at the recent show wheel of time, I mean, there's a big uh, debt to sort of D and D there. You know what I mean? Like I could see, that kind of a, th you know, you know what I mean. There's, there's other shows yeah. like it that are. It's not like, it's not like it's the first fantasy thing, movie that's ever going to come out. I think, I, I think it's set for a, for, for a fairly long run. Now, um, on this interview, you've been very much defined by your relationship with gaming and the realms. What other things make up Ed Greenwood? Are you a sports guy? What kind of movies and TV shows do you like, Ed? Like, what, what do you like when you're away from the gaming table and the draft board? Uh, well, I. I have very little time to watch television. Right. Um, and until very recently, I was watching what my wife wanted to have on because she was bedridden and watching. Sure. Of course. So it was, it, you know, it was sort of like if she wants to watch the news, that's what we're watching. If she's watching The Curse of Oak Island, that's what we're watching. Sure. Um, uh, beyond that, I am reading constantly. I'm reading everything because I work in a library. Yeah. So I am reading widely. If somebody comes in and said, I like Daniel Steele and I've read all the <laughs> Daniel Steele books, what else have you got that's like, I have to be able to answer. So yeah. I have to have read more widely than I would otherwise read. And you obviously and enjoy working in a library, don't you? Like it's Oh, I love it. Yeah. It, it's it's connecting people with information and it's solving people's problems. Mm. And it's giving people a darn good new author to read yeah, every day. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah, 100%, man. Um, now, uh, had a couple of questions here just to wrap up from Michael Kellish and one of our Patreons and big listeners. Uh, Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Michael. Um, he starts off with not the right note. He goes, I know who Ed Greenwood is, but I've never read his books or any Forgotten Realms. I'm an Eberron fan. Well, thanks, Michael, for that. That's not what we want to hear. Um, I'm not even sure. Oh, Keith's a friend. Keith's yeah. a good friend. I remember okay. when Eberron was chosen by TSR. Cool. That was okay. a fun contest, and... Peter Archer and I sat in the Bombay Bicycle Company in Milwaukee and discussed <laughs> Eberron and what right. we were going to do. <laughs> he, he's got some questions here. So um, 
Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance were TSR's most popular series in the 80s and 90s. Was there friendly competition among the writers or was there a rivalry between the two series? We've already mentioned Margaret and how lovely she is and uh, you mentioned Tracy. Like, do, you know, what was the relationship like? There was no rivalry whatsoever. Mm. Um, I believe that um, some of the early uh, fumbling social media attempts of the company, they sure. tried to sort of stir uh, up a rivalry uh, uh, amongst gamers Jesus. um as a, as a, but no i don't think there was one at all between the writers they were all the same people i was going to say it was just like, one assignment you drew for yeah, this I was gonna say, it's going to be very much infighting like at a certain point they they're doing their thing you're doing your thing if the company's making money everyone's winning you know yeah and not only that uh like everybody else you don't want to do the same thing over and over and over again unless you've got something else going on in your life and you're so busy, you know, yeah. that you want a no brainer to do, uh, unless that is the case, you want to do new things. You want to stretch your wings. You want to have variety. So if you're doing Dragonlance and then you're doing the realms, yeah. So what? That's great. I think it's cool. Um, yeah. now he's got a question here. We've kind of covered this, but what are your thoughts on the religious rights, anti D and D and D crusade in the eighties? We've sort of covered it like a bit of a media yeah. beat up. Would you agree? Yeah, it was a beat up and it was, you see, we actually had a reaction in the game where uh, we took de demons and devils out of the game and right. replaced them with Tanari and uh, Darut and so on. Uh -huh. And that was purely because of Holy Rollers in the United States television evangelist who would hold up a copy of the Monster <laughs> Manual and say, the word demon is in this book four to six times. I, devils! I devils that. are in this book seven to six times. <laughs> so we, we took those two words out of the game and they couldn't do that anymore. I, I honestly, I mean, maybe I'm being naive, but I think that that actually sells books, like when people do that kind oh, of sure. crazy but shit. Like... You, you want it to, the controversy to sell books, but you don't want something that somebody can use to take the books off sale yeah. in his state. I've got a question. Now, I, I know with Forgotten Realms, you have a very expansive, um, what do you call it? Like with all the gods, I forget what the word is, but like Pantheon. The, Pantheon. Thank you, Ed. I mean, it's, I'm glad you work in a library. Um, now, <laughs> so you've got the Pantheon, you've got Bane, and was there one? Of Satan. Did he actually have stats or was there not Satan? Oh, that had already been done for me. A right. gamer up in Canada by the name of Alex Von Thor <laughs> in issue 17 of Dragon wrote an article so called The Politics of Hell. Oh, really? And he has stats for all of, yeah, Lucifer and da da da. Everything is statted out. So that's that had already so been done. So that's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, would, can you imagine the conniption that, like, the 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 TV evangelist would have if he came across that stat? Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Like heart attack on the table kind of material, <laughs> foaming at the mouth. Um, well, you see, then you gently explain to them mm. the only reason that Satan has stats is so you can kill Satan. Yeah, Isn't right, that what yeah. you want to do? He'd have to be. <laughs> I'm guessing chaotic evil. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> He's got to be about as chaotic evil as you could possibly get. <laughs> um, uh, now, I've got a question here. This is a little... Michael likes to push a few buttons. He's got, what are your thoughts on the far left's wokeification of D&D today? I think he's talking about, it has been pretty PC-ified for my liking, but what do you think? You know how people are like, orcs shouldn't be evil, they should be good or neutral or, you know, all that stuff. Have you heard this kind of stuff? Yep. Oh, sure. Um, my 
take on it is every single uh, generation and every single person and mm. every single background of person who comes to D&D is going to take the game in their own direction. Yeah. And they should have the freedom to do so. Mm. Um, but it's the old thing of your freedom to swing your fist ends where my face begins. You know, that old, you know. Sure. It's the balance of freedoms. As a writer, I don't want anything that takes off the table my freedom to tell us a story my way. Yeah. So if somebody says, you can't write about black people, you're not black. You can't write about native people or aboriginals, sure. whatever, because you're not from that. It's like, uh, excuse me, yeah, I'm fantasy and science fiction writer. Yeah. Do you live in a world where magic works, like spells? Uh, yeah. uh, and there are dragons breathing fire. And, say, a dragon's flying by your house. Like you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and how many? How many six-fingered, eighteen-eyed aliens? Yeah. Uh, do you have in your neighborhood? Yeah. I still want to be able to write about them. Sure. If you don't mind. Yeah. You know. And so that's where the, that's where the, um, problem area for me begins. If the I do think that when we write about things, we should be sensitive about mm. any stereotypes we perpetrate. But again, that's why I want my realms to be not have real world analogs. You know, so when somebody yeah. says, hey, that's a thinly disguised copy of a black man and you're being disparaging about him. And I said, no, it's a character by this name who is evil. Are you saying all black people are evil? Is that why you recognize that character as a black person? Mm. You know, I could see, I could turn it right around. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. Because for me, I haven't done a, a close real world analog. So that whole problem doesn't apply. Yeah, I, I also, I hear you, man. I agree with you. I'm on the same page. I, I remembered when they're like orcs, you know, um, it's bad if they're inherently evil. I was like, I, I remember some edition, it was probably second edition, there were half orcs. And though you yep. could play it, but you didn't have to play a half orc evil. It was like no, yeah. you could be a half orc of any. But that's um, what I'm saying. Like some of these like so-called controversies, I'm like, you know, I I I don't. I'm sure if you went through all the bloody modules, all the thousand modules, there'd be examples of of races that aren't evil. That that suppose yeah. you know, like, do you know what I mean? I'm like, I, I don't yeah. think they give D and D enough credit and the writers. Like, I don't think it was always like I remember Minotaurs. Minotaurs weren't always evil, you know. No, and and we had plenty of encounters in published adventures way back when, mm. where you have to rely on the orc, and See. the orc is going to help you, and you're going to help the orc. It's a mutual benefit thing, yeah. And you're going to get out of the catacombs. You don't do your way out, See, and man. the orc is going to get to stay alive past these monsters. It knows is there and warns you about because it doesn't want you to get killed because it needs you to get past the monsters. And these were moral choices about getting along with people yeah. who you might normally see as an enemy. So it was a good role-playing thing, and it was exactly. a good life-teaching moment uh, for the people around the table. And there was nothing nothing wrong with that. Exactly, man. And, and like, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Like, it's like, I think people think sometimes, you know, when you're playing, you, I know you don't play computer games that much, but you're playing them, you're fighting the orc horde, so it's just death and carnage, death and carnage, death and carnage. Not all of D&D is like that all the time. Oh, goodness, no. Yeah. Uh, when I used to play the original Realms campaign with the original Realms players, mm. we would quite often go for through a four-and-a-half-hour play session. Not a weapon would be drawn. Right. They were role-playing their characters who had day jobs, 
who had investments, yeah. who were going around and seeing all the people in their village in the same way that if you watch a 1960s sitcom, yeah. which has a small cast of characters and only a few sets because they don't have the budget to travel around. Mm. So they, they're in the same, like, like say, MASH or yeah. all in the family. Oh, yeah. It's the same few of uh, rooms Gilligan's or Island or whatever that kind in. of thing yeah Gilligan's Island yeah, yeah. Uh, and the same cast of characters bouncing off each other that's what our play sessions are like and they were role-playing they were living in this fantasy world it wasn't always kill somebody and take their stuff exactly you know um did you ever do adventures either at your gaming table or wrote them with like vampires and undead and stuff was that ever your cup of tea uh I used undead a lot but mm. I used either really mysterious spooky undead like mm. a pair of floating skeletal hands and eyeballs floating in the darkness that's cool gesturing at you right so like oh it wants us to do something but what because <laughs> it's not talking yeah. you know stuff like that or an apparition that just passes through you yeah sort of more like hints. or yeah or i'd have liches Oh, and yeah. vampires who were far too powerful for the party yeah. to overcome, so they had to talk to them. That's scary. You know, and leeches have always negotiate. scared me. Leeches have always scared me because um, they're yeah. kind of they're, 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 Is there any danger? Uh, you know, like as far as I'm aware, a lich is like a powerful wizard who doesn't want to die, so he makes a deal with the devil or something to become a lich. Yeah, so that's basically in essence. Well, no, 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 no yeah. deal with the devil. He he finds the magical process. For right. making himself undead. That's okay. the difference. It's not a, ah. he's not beholden to anyone else. Uh, okay, so his his own dark power he's tapped into yeah. like the mystery. Okay, so he's done that. It, it, I'm just going to throw this out there to you because you are Elminster. Is there ever a world where Elminster is like in all the alternate worlds like a zombie or a leech? Is he Oh, sure. Yeah. There'd be a world in which he's a uh, lich because he didn't get done all the things he wanted to get done, and he was about to die. He says, no, 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 I can't die. I've got too much on my to-do list. I, I, I promise this. I promise that. Right. And, and, I mean, Elminster is basically a writer. Yeah. He's right. got so many deadlines and so many things he's promised to so many people that he can never die because he still has to write all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's Elminster. So I could see a world in which you do this. What I can't see in a, uh, is a world in which Elminster would be an out-and-out -out evil lich. No. What he would be is the sort of lich who says, oh, I've tried to talk to you five million times and you aren't listening, so I'm just going to destroy you because right. I have to get on to the next bit of business. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, last couple of questions. Uh, as a creator of The Forgotten Realms, how did it feel to have other authors write in the universe you created? We've kind of covered this, but um, you felt pretty good about uh, it, didn't you? It was, it was never a problem for me because I had been asked that question right at the beginning in the, in the you know, do you... Do you want to sell your world to us mm. other people will be making changes and working in your world okay once you pass that then you realize no wait a minute um this means my world mm. that has never been able oh sorry things be, can yeah. happen that i didn't think of i love it yeah exactly man um and then we've already he's got a last question about the money question which i think we've covered um, you know, you're not getting a percentage of all the stuff that's still getting oh, made. No. no, yeah. Which Oh no, I'd be I'd be um probably a billionaire by now if I was getting a percentage. No, I'm not getting anything. I wish you I were, get man. paid royalties for what I'd written and that's it. Okay, but you some stuff still comes in from, from all this kind of stuff? Or, yeah, so much early stuff. earlier stuff uh earned us royalties. Excellent. Later stuff we just got a flat fee. 
clap for yeah, like you know, here's twenty grand for this kind of thing, yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, look, oh, twenty grand. I would have loved to see twenty grand. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Um, look, Ed, thank you so much for coming on. Now, I do want to point people. We've mentioned the fate of the Norns. Is there anything else you'd like to promote? And where can people find you? How you know? How can they support your your next thing? Um, you know, let, let listeners know. Oh boy. Okay. The best place to find me is on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm at the Edverse. T H E E D V E R S E. At the Edverse. Mm-hmm. And I answer Realm's questions and I answer all sorts of impertinent questions. And I, I tweet um, bad doggerel rhyming poetry and an ongoing Lord Wolf story and um, <laughs> uh, just news and rumors from the, the Viking city of Athclias, stuff that uh, adv- free adventure hooks for your role playing campaign. That I do those every day. And then I, I answer Realms questions for people. And that's the best way to get hold of me. Cool. Uh, geez, projects I'm doing right now, I'm doing so many projects, and most of them I can't talk about because um, right. the NDAs apply. Uh, I am working with a company called Arch Villain Games working on their world as well as a lot of other people are working on their world. Um, I'm just looking over all the things I'm working on right now. Yeah, I really can't talk about much of it. If you're a Realms fan and you wanted um, Realm stuff outside the Sword Coast, uh-huh. uh, Alex Kammer, um, uh, Alan Patrick and I wrote a Red Wizards of Thay uh, book, uh, Thay, Land of the Red Wizards, oh, yeah. which is which you can get at the DMs Guild. You can actually get a glossy hardcover if you want it to wow. look like a regular TSR book. Um, uh, we published that a couple months back, and it's still a roaring bestseller. And awesome. uh, Alex Kammer and I did an earlier one set in the realms called The Border Kingdoms. Cool. Which is so close to Sword are these so like source? Are these like source books, or what are they? Yeah, they're source books. Oh, yeah. I love the Red Wizards of Thay, man. Wowee. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Alex Kammer wrote a nice introductory adventure that's the sort of the last third of that book. Right. And the first two thirds of the book bring some character classes and some monsters that Alan Patrick did and the land of Thay, which I did to life. Cool. Well, that's um, awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I also worked with a uh, Steve Fiddler of Vorpal Dice Press to do a, a series of shorter books. And these are PDFs only mm. the Amaroon's Almanacs. Now these are useful beyond the realms. Mm. There's like a mountains book, a desert book, an Arctic book, a forest book. So if you're traveling in those sort of biomes, that mm. sort of terrain, and you need uh, plants that are poisonous and or helpful or edible, um, monsters of all sorts of weird sorts, stuff about crossing the terrain, that's what those books are for. And Amaroon is a granddaughter of Elminster. Oh, sweet. That's great. Um, just last question before we go. In all your Forgotten Realms stuff that you've published, I mean, a part of, where did what edition do you feel you're at the absolute? Like, what edition and what product did you feel you're at the absolute top of your game? You felt you were so proud of that product that came out. Like, in all of the D and D Forgotten Realms that you've done, what would you point a listener? Oh, to? I I don't have an answer for that. Too hard. But here's the thing. Here's why. I think the best bang for your buck mm. is the third edition core book called the Forgotten Realms campaign setting, the beige one. Yep. Because we got so much into that book and it gives you an overview of the world. Mm. The books I enjoy the most mm. were the Volos guides. Oh, they're cool. All yeah. Them. They're, they're yeah. very cool. Actually, um, I agree. Uh, before that, I would say uh, the Seven Sisters and Code of the Harpers and yeah. uh, the 
Forgotten Realms Adventures, where I did all the cities of the realms, and I did them in three weekends. That was the original one, wasn't it? Wasn't that? Yeah, the, yeah well, that was well, great. No, it's, it's it's the it's the amplification book where I did the maps of all the cities. Mm. What edition was it when the realms came out? Was it second edition or was it just the what edition was that? Like it was the very end of first edition, right? And into second, yeah. And when you're at your, and I'm about to let you go, Ed. So this is the last question. Wait, That's wait, okay. Wait, I don't wait, mind. Sorry, I love all night if you don't mind. I love this stuff. <laughs> I love this stuff. When you're at your table with you know your buddies, what edition are you playing if you're playing D and D? It depends on the buddies. Right. The original realms guys are playing second edition mm-hmm. because they vote. Right. To determine everything. And I only have one vote. I'm the dungeon master. I only have one vote. Sure. Um, and, and they outnumber me. And they said, let's play first edition. Only let's have second edition bards as well as first edition. Let's play them alongside yeah, each other. A little bit I of house fine. rules. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then they said, okay, let's move to second edition. But for those of us who still have first edition bards, can we keep them? And that's where we are now. Gotcha. With them. Uh, with the most gaming groups I sit down with now, it's either one of two things. Mm. Fifth edition, because that's what they're playing now because yep. they're younger. Yep. Or it's no edition because it's absolute novices. Like uh, young ladies and their grandparents have right. sat down at a convention and they say, but we don't know the game. And I said, it's all right. You don't have to. That's great. I'll though. tell the story. Yeah. You'll you'll tell me what your character's doing and I'll ask you to roll these funny dice. That's fine, though, man. Like, that's, and then that's I'll just great. tell you what happens. And then yeah. they don't need to know the game mechanics. That's almost me. <laughs> I'm and that's okay. Because, yeah. you see, D&D is a storytelling game. Yeah. If you yeah. want a simulation military game, yeah. there are many others you could play instead. Yeah. Man, I, I want to say, Ed, thank you so much for your time. This has been such a fascinating chat, and I just get the feeling that you – it is like talking Elminster. You've got so many stories and there's so much knowledge under that cap. Did you know? And uh, <laughs> I feel like it's been coming on and off during this uh, during this call. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I can keep going for hours. The trouble is shutting me up, not yeah. getting me to talk. It's been great. Look, Ed, um, thank you, and we'll, we'd love to have you on again at some point. But um, sure, uh, yeah, man, uh, we'll keep in touch. And uh, and as soon as this Fate of the Norn stuff comes out and people can be buying it, please let me know. And your other projects, I will publicize them on Signal of Doom. That's not a problem. Uh, I just want to say thanks so much and have a great night, man. And to you too. This has been great fun. We could just unwind and chat. This was lovely. Let's do it again. Thank you for having me.